Thank you for listening to this Podcast One Sportsnet production, available on Apple Podcasts and Podcast One. A lot of action, a lot of action, as a Cespedes says. NBA, NHL playoffs, MLB. You got to bet it. If you're betting, you got to bet it somewhere. Bet DSI. Now, we got a special offer. It's Bell 101. B-E-L-L 101. That's a promo code. What do you get? 100% bonus match. So we've talked about Bet DSI a lot. 20 years in the business. Payouts. All the good things. Now you got a special offer. If you're playing now, you might as well have another out. And even if you're going to wait till football, betting those, if you wait until September to bet those, you're making a mistake. If you want to bet them now, you're locking in the best number. And if you look at Fezzik, especially over the years, and we're talking years, when he has an early NFL game, it the line moves against you, meaning you get a worse line if you play it later like 80-plus percent of the time. If you're playing football now, or even if you're not, you're going to start playing football in July. It's not that far off. We don't know how long this offer is going to last. 100% bonus match. Use promo code BELL101. That's BetDSI.com. On to the show. Welcome to R.J. Bell's Dream Preview. Weekly winners from his Wise Guy Roundtable. Broadcasting from the pregame.com studios in Las Vegas. Here is R.J. Bell. That's right. And this is the OMG, how good is Golden State really edition of the Dream Preview. And we've got our Wise Guy Roundtable to my left. Brad Powers, surgeon when it comes to NBA knowledge. This guy, if he puts his mind to it, I don't know what he can handicap. <laughs> to my right, Steve Fezzik, only two-time Super Contest champion. And I would make the case his NBA, just because we got the daily show, is better than it's ever been. His depth of knowledge, obviously NFL is his specialty. I'm RJ Bell. And I'm okay. I do all right. We're going to do a different kind of show here. First, we're going to touch the major obvious topics. So number one is Golden State. Number two is the the, the tie 2-2-2. Two, two, two. So number two is a series is tied 2-2-2. Two, two, two. That's pretty clever. <laughs> Hard to understand. So we're going to talk about that series. Now, you might think, okay, that sounds like a normal show. No. If you listen to Howard Stern, he has every once in a while a clear the computer show. So there's all these bits and clips and whatever that are sitting in the computer and they just weren't used. So he'll go through all of them. I don't know, once a quarter maybe. And sometimes it's like, oh, man. We should have used that one. And sometimes I see that one didn't get used. I've got a pile of papers inches high on the desk in my bag. And I'm literally going to go through the papers at the end and find these little tidbits. And maybe it's longer conversations that we have not discussed here. 
we have not discussed on Straight Out of Vegas, which is Fox Sports Radio, six o'clock Eastern, five days a week, drive time on the East Coast, baby. This is going to be the world premiere of some of these concepts. Let's get to it. Showtime! Woo! All right, Fez, we've gone back and forth and back and forth, and we've got a special music for it when you do your back and forth. Here we come. I want you to take us back in time. And fairly, I don't want to have to interject. Give us your evolution. Fast evolution. You know how they say evolution takes tens of thousands of years? For you, it's 10 minutes sometimes. Give us your evolution on the value of Kevin Durant. All right. So Kevin Durant, just a couple weeks ago. Maybe that's being generous. Maybe, maybe 10, 10 days, days ago. ago. Kevin Durant's worth three points. This is easy. Every time. Now hold on. You say that so quickly. Now, remember we talked about identifying in a given sentence what word is the most important the audience hears? What do you think the word was in that case? The last sentence. I'm trying to come up with the answer you want to hear. <laughs> what do you know. think the answer is? Well, I said... Three points for Kevin. Well, I Durant. know. What do you think the most important word in that sentence was? That he was worth. I had. I had him valued at three points. So you just repeat the whole sentence. Three. Okay. Do you feel like you enunciated three properly? No. Okay. So let's try it again. Let's see. Here's the thing. Fez is a borderline genius. He really is. He's there's something uh, I don't want to say it's quite rain man but I think you're getting the picture we're trying to figure out how a lot of people say RJ you're too hard on fast now listen I got more people that say thank God someone's trying to get the not get the truth out of fast but get all of the gold from that mine he's like a gold mine and there's a lot of gold you could pick up on the surface but if you dig in there's more gold, but digging sometimes hurts. And to me, I'd rather Fez hurt if the audience gets the gold. That's just the way I am. So we're going to dig a little bit. We're counting cards. So Fez, we've been talking. You want to enunciate the word. So if I'm going to say what you were going to say, I would say, I wouldn't have lied initially and said 14 days. I would have said 10 days ago or less. When I valued Durant, I thought it was worth three points. Try it. Ten days ago, Kevin Durant, you know, this is a complex question. How much is he worth? Usually when he's wrong, it's complex. So, <laughs> obviously, Kevin Durant, very great player. Many feel he's the best player in the NBA. If that was the case, for most teams, he'd be worth six points. Which is usually the max, right? Michael was considered six, six and a half. LeBron, six, six and a half. And because of that, I'm like, well, Kevin Durant, Great player, but for whatever reason, he's not as valuable to Golden State. The eye test still says he's a great player, but clearly he's not worth that six points. So 10 days ago, I went ahead and made a best estimate at that time that Kevin Durant was worth three points. And what did the market say? Because here's the thing. If the market is king, if we think it's perfect, then we're idiots for laying one pen. I never bet. 
Okay. So we do disagree with the market, but the market's right. Most, uh, we disagree sometimes, but the market is right. Most of the time, what did the market say? The market said Kevin is worth three to golden state. And we saw that game six when Houston was uh, hosting golden state. Houston was a seven point favorite in that game. They would have been about a four point so favorite. Let, let, just to be clear. We, we created an analog game, right? It was game three and game six. So explain why those games were uh, comparable. Yeah, because game three was an all-in game for Houston. They were down 0-2 at the time. And so that game was Houston laying minus three and a half to minus four against Golden State in that all-in situation. So fast forward to game six, similar situation. Houston's fighting for their playoff lives, down three games to two, need the game like blood. We'd expect that line also to be like minus three and a half to minus four. But Kevin Durant is out, and that line was minus seven. Okay. Now, up to that point, up to that point, there was three years of Kevin Durant era in Golden State. And in those three years, there was a lot of games that Durant was out and Curry was in. And in those games, they did exceptionally well. Golden State did exceptionally well. Now, we're going to ask this same question and actually give the numbers in a minute or two. But I want to understand in your mind, because you one of the things about you, Faz, you originate NBA, you originate NFL, but you bet in a lot of other things and you trade information. And imagine if I'm a master at MMA handicapping. I'm not, but let's say I was. Steve Fezzik, that's the guy that won two super contests. That's the guy with a mansion and a yacht. That's the guy that's known in all five boroughs. <laughs> I mean, that's the kind of guy, <laughs> that's the kind of guy I want to trade information with. In all the five boroughs, I'm known. I'm known all over the world. Right? So you got people contacting you often saying, let's trade. So what you, when, you, when that happens, how do you typically approach it? Well, when I have uncertainty about things or they have uncertainty, we ask each other questions. But, but hold on. My question, try to listen. My question is, when they contact you, because it could be someone who... Uh, is a 17-year-old kid that just started handicapping last week or who knows who it could be how do you you don't just start batting some stranger's information immediately do you no you take that information then you do your independent research from that and you try to make your own conclusions about maybe a theory so, so, they might have so hold on a second so you're saying if a guy comes to you unknown give says I'm great at MMA he gives you a pick. The first pick he ever gives you, your bias is towards batting it. You're just doing your research. But if your research was any good, you'd be batting your own MMA picks. Well, I, I would have to have the time to go through each and every game in MMA. But, but MMA. what I'm saying is the act of you going through it is borderline meaningless. You're not an MMA handicapper. Yeah, but I consider myself, if he gives me the reasons why he's betting something, I've got a little, a, a, a shortcut, if you will, towards being able to actively handicap his handicap and determine, do I think it has merit or do I think it does not have merit? It's going to be difficult because I'm not an MMA expert, though. So what would you do? I would use my best judgment to try to figure out if if I thought that he had. Well, let me ask you this: You're struggling. Let me ask you this question: If it were a sport that you had other sources on, 
and you personally handicap just you don't originate. So when we say originate, it means you will bet your NFL. You don't need to talk to anyone else. Now, you will as the week progresses, but you're willing to bet, uh, you know, a week. In fact, you bet a bunch of games of the year. I mean, one of the things we'll do today, Brad, if you're ready, is we can go through a lot of the Cantor game of the year stuff, right? Got it. All right, so they released week two through 16. How many of those in a typical year, by the time that, you know, whenever they take those off the board, how many of those do you bat? About 30, like two per week. And two per, per week of the season. Yes. Okay. And in general... You're not getting information from anyone as much as this is your opinion. No, it's just my opinion. I don't need anyone else's information. It, it's sometimes helpful, but I am very confident to bet my information solely and to get an edge against a virgin bookmaker line in the NFL. And a two-time Super Contest champion makes sense. And the fact that we, right in front of the world, for you, had the season we had on NFL and Fez leading the way with his best bets the vig, you know, tries to act like he was leading the way, but he it was far from it. You, I mean, you proved yourself with two super contests in a row, and now years later, with a one of the, we were at the cusp of winning the gold, one of the great seasons. Okay, but in NBA, you'll do the same thing, though you're not as confident. I think you're the best NBA, or check that the best NFL public handicapper in the world if a guy isn't known publicly i don't know who there there could be you know i don't know but what i know is this if there was a lot of better handicappers than you privately the line would move so fast we wouldn't be winning like we do so in nba i think you're probably in the top tier but there's certainly a lot of people in that tier you know i don't know publicly for six seven eight of them but there's people in that tier but still you originate. And all other or WNBA you originate. Yes. Which is more niche. And when does that season start? Friday, opening day. And you're 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 ready. I'm ready. All right. So on Twitter, guys, if you because here's the thing. A lot of people think WNBA, you must be crazy. Who would bet WNBA? Right? That that is a reaction. And then another possible reaction is, you know something? I get off on the idea that no one, that people thinks it's crazy that I'm betting this, but that gets me off, right? The idea that, uh, in fact, at the Super Bowl, I thought this was great. Fez, we were at the Super Bowl. He was only there a couple of days for media, for Fox. And since Fez didn't have all his computers and his screens, you were really limited in your betting. But we're sitting at this exotic Indian place. It's like a little hole in the wall. Had a five stars on Yelp. I, I don't know if you know about this. Daryl from Atlanta. What's the name of the spot? Oh, you know, I think I put it in my phone. Um, it's right on the corner. There's a weird street going right. Oh, what was it? We took a picture. Oh, gosh. Like when or so. One of the streets was win or victory or something. Maybe you could pull that picture up, Brad. But um, either way, we'll, we'll double back. But the thing was, you weren't betting much. And because, again, smart. You, you didn't feel like you had an edge because you were remote. But at one point, we're sitting there enjoying ourselves. Mackie's there. And I see you hitting, you know, on your phone very intently. And I said, Fez, what are you doing? What did you answer? I was betting international basketball. 
but wasn't it women's basketball or some second half total? It was like even niche, more niche than that. I believe it was Liga Spanish League women's basketball. <laughs> <laughs> to me, I the, the, the perverseness of that interests me. It, it, I, I can't lie. I get off on the perverseness of that sometimes. I like to have a little something going every day. Maybe nothing big, but a little daily recreation don't hurt anybody. I mean, that's how you felt, right, Fez? I'm not sure. Well, well, what else would you have found? I, well, I think maybe I'm like, you were Jones. I'm like almost going through withdrawal, not being able to make advantage bets when I like go 24 hours without making a bet. So you were Jones yeah. Are you familiar with that term? I'm not. You are so fucking square. <laughs> ah, hey, you got to love it. Is that square? Well, to me, WNBA is exactly that. If you only want games that you're going to be watching and everyone's talking about the next day at work, no. But if you want to win, and Fez, you might not have it right in front of you, your two-year record, last two years, you've you've done WNBA. What's your two-year record? 27 and 14. So... I think there's a lot of value there. So you got a package up for that right now? We do right now. Season long package. Go to pregame.com, click buy picks, click Fezzik. You'll see the options. All right. Hmm. Did you have something for us? Yeah. What was it? Lucky Street. Lucky Street. Yeah. I know a little Indian restaurant. You're right on the corner. Yeah. Yeah. You know that one? Yeah. I know exactly where you are. Yeah. That's a good restaurant. Yeah, that's very nice. It's a it's a nice little spot to take somebody late night too. And then for, unfortunately, it was Mackie and Faz with me. No, that's not what you wanted. <laughs> <laughs> I still, but my love of food is such it was okay. I'm just saying. <laughs> Mackie and I were RJ's backups for like every single day. We we're like, are we going to go to lunch, RJ? And he's like, I'll get back to you. And then if everything else fell through. Then he'd take us to lunch. You were yes. eating at the media center the whole time, pretty much? <laughs> For the most part. Women weaken legs. That's my opinion. Mm. You can appreciate them. Got to compartmentalize. So those NFL, NBA, WNBA originate. Otherwise, you got great instincts for handicapping, but you just don't have the time to sit like Brad does and watch... What's our count now on uh, your spring game viewing? I'm only at 31. I got about 19. You now. feel like you're behind? I do a little bit this year. <laughs> All right. There you go. All right. Fez, if you did that, how you originate in the WNBA and NBA? And that's why we diversify at pregame. Okay. So to me, I think the thing that threw you about the MMA question is in almost all cases, you're going to be competent enough to say, well, that doesn't work in baseball, even if you don't originate in baseball. Mm-hmm. Though you actually originate, what, with the AL East? You focus that much and, and we'll do it there or refresh my memory? Well, the NL um, Central, because the Cubs are in that division. So that's the division I know the best. So Okay, and you'll bet some stuff on your own there. Absolutely, yes. But otherwise, it's your opinion. But you're saying even if a guy off the street comes up, you hear his analysis, you're going to have a pretty good idea. Is this guy capable of winning? Exactly. And I'll bounce it off one of my experts also. I'll say, hey, you know, this other guy has this theory about Tampa Bay games going under early. Can you take a look at this? Do you think it has any merit? They're more of the, the someone who's a baseball specialist. Okay. So, for example, when Brad, when I hired Brad and you didn't know him 
and Brad started talking to you about some of his theories and you told me this guy, I don't know. Yeah. That was just that same kind of analysis. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and now Brad, here's his revenge. He was the baddest cat around until I showed up. So, you know, if you would have been nicer earlier, Fez, who knows? He could be on your team instead of your adversary trying to supplant you. <laughs> oh, no. Brad and I are a team. We've got a nice package up with Fez NFL and Brad College Football. It's a team of, of uh, convenience, though. It's not. No, it's a dream team. <laughs> no, it's a dream team if you're buying it. But it's very competitive. Yeah. It's almost like the dream team. He does, there's not enough dislike like Isaiah to keep anyone off, oh. but but it's very competitive. Yep. All right. Brad he doesn't keeps, even know he's competing. Yeah. yeah. Well, I or, go home. Or maybe, yeah. maybe maybe he's doing the howdy doody stuff, right? Where he acts all innocent. <laughs> yeah, stuff. that's a good call. I mean, that's what I'm he, like Rocky Four style. His pictures on my mirror when I wake <laughs> up. <laughs> I love it. Love it. But you're not going to like, if you see him and the wife, you're not going to go, hey, woman. <laughs> no. <All right>. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be funny. All right. <laughs> so Durant, three points. What happened after that? Yeah. So it's complicated, complex, but bottom line is. Code is he's wrong and he wants to try to make it seem less wrong. Yeah, I was wrong. Um, it became evident. Try, if- try to speed it up, though. Alrighty. I mean, because but you you go um mm, mm, mm. just get to the point. Curry without Durant wins five straight playoff games, and now Curry is thirty one and one straight up without Durant. And if you look at stop, what you said isn't correct. So think about what you said. I, I'm not going to help anymore. Golden State, when Curry plays and Durant does not play, their last thirty two games. There you go. Okay. 31 and 1. Because what happened is the number that's going around that's correct is the whole time. For whatever reason, the first couple games weren't as good. It's fair to say, hey, they're on this run. But I would make the case since there's only a couple games you're eliminating, instead of seeming like you're, you know, arbitrary endpoint type crap, just say the whole era, I think is the better number. Then you can say, and actually they've been, after the first couple games, they're 31 and 1. Yes. So, okay. so it turns out it's just under 90% that when Curry plays and Durant doesn't play, that's the percentage that Golden State wins. Straight up. Straight up. When both play, it's only 78%. So they've actually done better with Curry. Um, than with Curry and Durant. However, RJ, what I, I really thought was going to happen this year is that- but, but hold on a second. A vast majority of those numbers were already in the books come game six in Houston. So I can't, and, and the reason we started the whole conversation of your network, it's not just your opinion. I want to hear two things. Why did you discount that record, which implies Curry without Durant is not much of a downgrade? And why did the other people you talked to, why did they discount it? Yeah, because when I had conversations with others, pretty much universally, the conclusion that I got when I spoke to others were, well, this is a totally different Golden State team. This Golden State team used to have a bench. They used to have Jaja Pachulia. They used to have David West. They used to have McGee. This bench is a bunch of stiffs for Golden State. And because of that, the mere fact that we're going to be down Durant and we're going to have to play more Jarebko or play more of Livingston, who's old, it's going to be a downgrade for Golden State that was not like the downgrade that we saw a couple years ago. But do you believe that at the end of last season, 
if when the bench was better for Golden State, if Durant was out, that the adjustment would have been like far less than three. I believe last year the bench was much more capable to. Yeah, I understand that. I'm saying, do you, if what you're saying is you're saying the reason that the Durant downgrade, you thought his absence, the downgrade associated with it was so significant. Three was because of the deficiencies on the bench. Yes. I'm saying last year there were less deficiencies on the bench. Thus, in theory, if. Curry played without Durant, you'd think that the downgrade would have been less. Correct. But did you see that last year? I don't remember it ever being like, oh, with Durant and and, and Curry, it's seven, but without minus seven, but without him, it's minus six. I never saw that. I never saw it. The market. So what you're saying is the market, they didn't care what the bench was like. They were downgrading uh, for the absence of Durant. Correct. The market said, hey, Durant is, is worth X, and the market it was sticking with that number of three points. So what else? Well, then what happened is that Curry started playing playoff game. No, after- no, 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 no. I, what I mean by what else is you haven't explained in any way why the uh, – Brad, read the numbers. Yeah. And so. this is today now. Now let's acknowledge there's been a handful of games since oh, in this playoff, starting with game six in Houston, in which Curry's played well. And it would make sense there might be some adjustment. Go ahead. So there's been five and a quarter. There's been extra. But right now, and Fez was right, Curry plays no Durant. 34 and four straight up in the Durant era. 90%. That's straight up. What about when both Curry and Durant play? Fez mentioned it. 78% of the time, the the Warriors win. Here's the, another factor. When Curry's out and Durant plays, the Warriors are 28 and 18. They only win 61% of the time straight up. So the best is when Durant doesn't play and Curry does 90%. When both guys play Durant and Curry, 78%. When Curry's out and Durant plays, <laughs> 61%. Now, those listening, you might say, yeah, but yeah, that sample size is decent, but maybe they just played a bunch of easy teams. So against the spread, it's supposed to equalize that. So let's go through each of those quickly, ATS. Yeah, ATS-wise, again, the best is when Curry plays no Durant, ATS 63% of the time, covering 63% of the time. Next up would be when both play, Curry and Durant. They cover right around 48% of the time. When Durant plays, Curry doesn't. Golden State only covers 39% of the time. So what we're saying is during this likely now, it would seem, all-time run of three straight win- victories, four out of five, also having in the middle of all that a 73-win season. It's about as good as we've seen since the Celtics. We can debate the Bulls and the time off and all that. That except for the games that Curry was there and Durant wasn't, if you would have said right when Durant shows up, you would have said, in fact, if I remember, Brad, our first lunch or whatever was the day, remember we were at Sunset Station? Yeah. And the day Durant signed. Oh, yeah, it was. Right? In July. So two and a half, you know, it's been three seasons, but it was a situation where... If I would have said, you know, I think this team's going to do as well as any team in history, I'm going to bet him every game. Other than it's just Curry by himself, a drunk baby flipping coins would have hit 50 
and the other situations, which is everyone except those Curry games by themselves would be what? Yeah, less than 47%, between 46 and 47. Guys, I mean, this <laughs> is a lesson of lessons, is I don't care how good a team is. If the world thinks that it's the best team, it's very hard to win money on the best team. And it's very hard to win money betting against what's perceived to be the worst team. People overreact to those extremes. So, Fez, my point is, you can subtract out five of those wins straight up, and the numbers are still shocking. So you just said... When I asked how, explain away the fact that there was these powerful numbers. You're like, well, I think the fundamental assumptions of the equation are different this year because of the bench. And it's like, okay. So under that theory, when the bench was better last year, and the thing is, there was before this, the Curry by himself numbers were very small this year. There might have been one or two games this year. So pretty much these numbers were the same. Minus the five playoff games a year ago. And the bench was much better, but still when Durant was out, it was being adjusted drastically. So you're saying the thing you're trying to explain away why you thought this year was different was something the market ignored last year, which was the strength of the bench. Yes. And I think the most important factor that the market has gotten wrong and that I've gotten wrong is that the joy that the players have playing with Steph Curry, the way the ball is distributed, everyone is more actively involved. And thus, when Steph is on the court and he's the one who's actively handling the ball, it makes everyone around him better. What made you see that this year and not the first 30 some games? Gosh, you know, the fact when I really was watching the playoffs, RJ. Could it be that because you have a daily radio show, you're actually working harder? It, it, absolutely. And going through the box scores and just physically watching the players and their effort levels. And just I go back to the joy of the game. The players look like they're really enjoying themselves. Hey, it's great to win. But when Durant is on the court so often, it just becomes iso ball. Let Kevin do his thing. And all the other players don't seem to have the joy of playing the game. What do you think, Brian? Well, I think these games, I think we paid attention more because it's been the playoffs. I'll give you a little bit of a pass, Fez, and I'll give somewhat the market a little pass. when it's a t- The market says thank you. <laughs> yeah. When it's a Tuesday night in January and Durant's out and Curry plays, I don't think people are really paying attention. Oh, Golden State won? That's, that's Golden State. That's what they should do. I mean, the team won 73 games without Durant. But I think it's the fact that we had a series that was 2-2. Durant gets hurt, and people are saying, like Charles Barkley, you can't. Golden State can't even win a series without Durant. And yet Golden State just pulled off a sweep. They took care of Houston as well. I think the magnification of these games has really shed more light, even though it's only been five games out of 38. Very well said, Brad. That was good. And I think he's right about some games get more attention than others. But it brings up my ultimate point. And to me, this is a debate I haven't heard anyone have. Now, since I've been having it on Straight Out of Vegas, maybe Colin's going to start having it. There, there's a new <laughs> phenomenon where I've listened. I mean, Brad, between you and I, we listen to a lot of Colin. You seem to listen almost every day. Yeah, I've started listening to Colin in 2004. Wow. Yeah. But I mean, let's say in the last year, you oh, listen yeah. a lot. Yeah. 
Have you ever heard him use the word sample size? No, never. And we sat here on the same network, you know, three, you know, our, his show. And then, you know, it's Dan Patrick, it's Colin Cowherd, it's Doug Gottlieb, and it's straight out of Vegas with RJ Bell. And then in real small font, Brad Powers and Steve Vettel. <laughs> yeah. You can't see it, but it's there. Is We were, what, spending probably 10, 15 minutes a show for a couple shows, yep. really breaking down that it's too easy to dismiss these staff numbers specifically as, oh, too small a sample size. Because one, it's not just it's a decent sample size, but two, it's so extreme, and and you've got the notes in front of you. It's it, thirty and four exactly. A thirty-four and four. Half 30, a thirty-four and four. Okay, yeah. but the thing is, even if the number of losses doubled, it would still be even better. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. Think about this, and if you need a second on the calculator, do it. If the number of losses doubled. When it's just Curry, that Curry alone without Durant would still have a better record than them two together. Is that right? Yep. By about a percent. So now you can say double the losses and still. So Fez, you can explain this better than me. You know, it's talking about standard deviations where what's your confidence level at one deviation, two deviations. I haven't done like the hardcore math on it, but the more extreme the results are, the lower, like if something happens 37 times in a row and it's supposed to be a binomial 50, 50, that's, you, you don't, you know, that's so good. It's, it's, it's almost certainly not random, right? Correct. So as you look at this, would you agree? It's not just cause it's almost 50 games or whatever, or uh 38 games, 38 games. And like you said, moving towards half a season, but it's also the fact that there is some margin for error, even if they got lucky to only have four losses. Yeah, correct. So think about it. someone shooting free throws, for instance. So they shoot 38 free throws, right? And they make 34 of them like Curry has. So they're 34 and four. Hey, they might not be an 88% free throw shooter. They might only be an 82% free throw shooter. They might be a 92% free throw shooter. But you know what? I'm pretty darn confident that they're at least, if not better than the 78% free throw shooter. So it's like a margin of error. And to me, whatever the rationale is, whatever uh, games Brad watched on TV or didn't, or you watched on TV or didn't, the reality is the numbers should have told us. And one of the great debates in sports today, maybe the debate is is it numbers or is it your eyes and gut? Because Barkley heading up the, it's my gut. He'll say, yeah, numbers matter, but it's all about the gut. A guy like Daryl Morey, or I, I can't speak to his exact process. What I've usually found is the less, the less credentialed the analytics guy is, the more adamant he is about that, that, only his numbers matter. Meaning if you do, t- I mean, I've listened to a lot of Daryl Morey interviews because he not only is a good GM, but he was at a forerunner of some, some of these analytics. He was developing them, not reading about them and trying to apply, uh, apply them. And 
he seems to often say, listen, you know, it's always fun to quote Einstein is Einstein said that everything you can count doesn't matter. So we could go count the leaves out there, but what does that have outside the stadium? We counted them. There's 7,000 leaves. (laughs) I've got my over under game of the year for leaves Except actually it's the football game, but I think the leaves are going to cause people to come into the stadium slower and thus I'm going to go with the road team in the first quarter. Actually, that makes a little sense. But (laughs) in general, there wouldn't be a correlation, right? So you can count it, but it doesn't matter. The flip side is everything that matters, Einstein says, you can't count. And to me, the smarter, the more accomplished the analytics guy is, the more he acknowledges they are on a perpetual search to try to quantify as much as they can, but they realize you can't quantify everything in a game with imperfect information. Chess has perfect information. So the best chess playing computer, which is in a way numbers can beat the best human. But to this day, the best poker playing computer cannot beat the best human. Why? Imperfect information. Obviously, there's a huge amount of things about NBA basketball that are not known. Like, you, if you get player X, you don't know if he starts smoking crack, right? The, the day after you sign him, right? Now, they might say, you know something? We can do regression analysis and try to figure out that based on this person's background, you know, it might be his education, which school he went to, what part of the country he's in. Uh, did he have one parent or two? Whatever. And they could come up with a projection. What's the chance during this contract this guy's going to become a drug user? And maybe the most extreme drug user might be uh, or extremely likely drug user might be a 2% chance and someone else might be a 0.2% chance and you could build it in the model. Literally, that's where we're headed. Everything's going to try to be contemplated. Fez, you seem to be making faces like you don't agree with me. No, I agree. So right. what's the faces about? Um, a, a nervous twitch. I don't know. What are you nervous about? My Durant valuation. <laughs> Listen, you were wrong. <laughs> 45% of the time, you're wrong. You win 55% and you got a mansion in a yacht. I th- relax. We were, that's the thing Fez struggles with. He's from the old, he's, he's significantly older than Brad and I. And <laughs> well, isn't that true? Yeah. Oh, yeah. So why are you laughing at the truth? I mean, I'm funny enough. You don't get a laugh at the truth (laughs) is, and I think you're stuck in that old school. Like I can't show weakness. I got to be honest with you. Anyone smart enough to be listening to this podcast understands there are no sure things that people make mistakes, that you make mistakes. I make mistakes, maybe less. Some would say, but I make mistakes. Brad, do you make mistakes? Absolutely. So what what are you nervous about? I made a mistake. I know. So why would you be nervous? You should be thankful that you have a platform here and that we've built up an audience that understands those things. Or you could tell us, is there anything else bothering you? You want to talk about? No. You sure? <laughs> is anything else bothering me? Like, like in general? Or is there anything like, bothering you? You, you want to tell four hundred thousand people? Oh no. Okay. All right. <laughs> so now, <laughs> Daryl, you got anything? I'm feeling good. Ah, <laughs> he's national, baby. 
all day. This guy, he was grinding in Atlanta. But listen, Atlanta's a great market. I mean, size-wise. Yep. Oh, yes. But now he's national. And he's in Vegas. How do you do better? I mean, I'm liking it out here. I'm, I'm learning. I'm learning. I'm learning the city. You, you know the ZZ Top song? Bad. I'm bad. I'm nationwide. Mm-hmm. It's a good one. All right, Fez. Let's get back. So no doubt the math people are advancing. I think there's also no doubt that they don't have the NBA game solved yet. I don't think any game is really solved sports-wise. Though baseball is the closest because so much of baseball is one player against one player, pitcher against hitter. That's why the analytics revolution started with baseball. In NBA, you can say this guy's, you know, PER, whatever, scores this many points, this many that. And then you got plus minus, but you really don't know. Does, does this guy make a difference that doesn't show up on the stat sheet? Right? So that's why as much as I'm willing to take my bows, like in hindsight, I was wrong about Tebow. I understood everyone saying that his mechanics were bad and all this stuff. But with Tebow, what I thought was, here's a guy for whatever reason that people want to rally behind, that people get excited with, is a true leader. And I know people are ambivalent about him in hindsight because of the, he was, you know, seemed to be quite religious. And a lot of people like that. A lot of people actually rebel against that. But to me, it wasn't even about that. It was like, this is a guy that seems like he's got a vision of where he wants to go. And that's what a leader is, is someone's willing to follow him. So I felt like he would make everyone else better energy wise and all that. And I do believe in hindsight, has there ever been a quarterback that won as many games as he won percentage wise, won a playoff game? Mm. And then never started. I mean, am I correct? He never started another. And his last start was in the playoffs and he was not over 30. I mean, like, you know, John Elway's last start was in the playoff and then completely dismissed. And I get, and to me, since Belichick had him in camp one year and he let him go, obviously I'm not going to question. And it makes me feel like I was wrong, but in a weird way, the fact that at the fundamental level, Belichick said he's not good enough to play in the NFL. Even as a third stringer who could have been on kick team, could have done a lot. Imagine him as the punt, you know, one of those punt blockers. Imagine all the different, you know, the guys that look like halfbacks or whatever. Imagine how many different fake punts they could have had with him. Right. So there was a lot of advantages beyond him just being a backup quarterback. And Belichick said his mechanics, his whatever are so bad, we can't salvage it. If he's that bad and he won that many games when he did have a chance, doesn't it prove maybe that my general point was right, that there was something beyond all that that led that team to win those games, his leadership, his inspiration, whatever. Now, you might say it was pure luck, but in general, when someone goes, you got numbers in front of you, Brad? Yeah, he ended up playing a year at the Jets, started two games after the Denver couple years. Okay. That was it then. Then he's out of the league. And how do you do in those two games? <laughs> Only like six out of eight passing. So he, he had a 75% pass. <laughs> yeah. Damn. They didn't trust him to throw the ball. Yeah. So did he start or he played? It says started. Okay. Games. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> 
It's interesting, right? All right. So, but to me, we got the debate, right? And in sports betting, there's the same debate. How much of it is math? How much? I mean, think of the levels of math, right? The first level of math is what you do, Fez. I'm going to figure some stuff out. First quarter is this. Fourth quarter is that. History tells us this. You do that, in my opinion, as well, if not better than anybody. That's why the books fear you in that way. Would you say they do? Yes. Okay. And I think he's right. I mean, there's multiple books here that won't, some won't take any action. Some will just take, there's one uh, big chain that will only let you bet once a day, right? Yeah, one trip to the window per day. I can bet every game on the board, but I have to do it all in one trip to the window. And if the line moves an hour later, you like, they don't want any piece of it. Correct. Okay. Fear. Now, to me, where you haven't, uh, you don't focus your time is the next level, which is data mining. So the idea is you get a database with as many, as many variables as possible. What time was the game? What day? Now, do you have experience? I mean, I, you're not doing this with a data cube, Brad, but have you seen this? Have you? Yeah, I've seen it. Okay. So why we don't you var- explain? Well, we had variations at my former employer, Phil Steel Publications, with stuff considering lines, games played, uh, scores, how many rushing yards, all that would get data mined into a thing. And the theory is we could project and say, hey, a lot of yards is good, blah, 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 blah. Or you could say, let the computer look at every permutation. It might take them four days. And at the end, show us the most unlikely outputs or p-value is the way you can say, which is how unlikely something is. And again, I'm no expert at this. I know just enough to explain it. Maybe not so well in a rudimentary sense. Okay. And then you find stuff you would have never thought to find. The next level is what's going to really make the markets tough is artificial intelligence. It does all the things a data cube does. The data cube, though, once it runs your um, search, it stops, spits it out, and waits for instructions. With artificial intelligence, it's the computer itself that suggests the first search. It happens. It looks at it and says, okay, where can we, where's, where's, where is there some hay to make? Search this, search that, search this. And since it's doing it at computer speed, it can search every possible permutation considering every possible piece of data and then literally update itself every game. Meaning a Monday night game happens. It reruns everything because it's got one more data point. And then there it is. How much do you wait the most? I mean, one of our great debates, a team is 10 and five, but they've lost two in a row. Do you think that they're 10 and five or do you think they're 0 and 2? Right? We sit here and wring our hands all day trying to figure out how to wait it. If you had tens of thousands of NFL games and could look at every one of those, but not just look, they lost two in a row, but what was the line? What was the weather? Mm-hmm. Was the quarterback out? I mean, this is where everything is headed, not just sports batting. So, yes, I think ultimately Terminator style, the computers are going to be dominant. Hopefully we're there to unplug them if we need to. <laughs> and Elon Musk talks about this a lot. A lot of people fear and again, Terminator style, that at some point these computers are going to have the ability 
Because remember, we think of computers today and we're thinking about our iPad or even a gigantic mainframe you might have seen in a movie. But computers are also robots. So, so I'm sure you, I think it was Boston Robotics is the one that's really doing some wild stuff. You see these, they're trying to get soldiers now. So you see these like eight arm, have you seen this, Brad? Yeah. These eight armed soldiers that can run 70 miles an hour <laughs> and blades come out when they need them. I have not seen that. I mean, I don't know. I mean, yeah. you know, <laughs> what I'm saying is that's where it's had it. Yeah. Right. And now imagine, you know, 2001 house style, your computer that's trying to take over how some of these robot computers to somehow either steal or build a secondary power source. And now we're thinking we unplug it, but lo and behold, they've already hooked up some power source on the side of the mountain. We don't know about. And again, obviously sci-fi is all based. A lot of it is based on this and there's uh create creative minds in this area, much more creative than mine, but if you can do, I mean, like if you can do things with a computer or the computer can do things a thousand times faster than we could, then what's the only limitation of theirs is the physical. And now that we're heading towards where there's going to be a bunch of robots, you don't think a computer can figure Imagine there's a robot army that we created. Cause do you really think in 20 years we're going to be sending people into Syria it's going to be robot battles, right? And imagine then that the one computer that's malicious in a way somehow hacks in and takes over the entire robot army. Mm-hmm. Now what? <laughs> All right. So if you lose a sports bet, it's not so bad. Right? <laughs> Let's just appreciate what we got now. But there, I mean, I would say Elon Musk has a lot of thoughts on this. They're quite and not saying... I, quite frankly, I don't know enough of the background info to even judge Elon Musk's thoughts, but they are quite profound. Though Elon also has the idea that we're living in a simulation. Are you familiar with this concept, Fast? I am not. You're not very educated, are you? I know he's trying to build some kind of subterranean tunnels through cities and the like. Do you see that like in the National Enquirer? Yahoo. Oh, yeah. Yahoo. Is that where you get your news instead? <laughs> AOL. <laughs> that was almost as good. He's actually got his own site at GeoCities. <laughs> Have you heard about this idea? Uh, no, I think you briefly mentioned it before. Okay. What did I say? I forget. <laughs> Daryl? Yes, I, I, I subscribe to this. So you believe we're living in a simulation? Yep. So if I fire you, there shouldn't be a big deal. Hey man, I'm gonna make it work. Ah! <laughs> so expl- you don't work, you don't eat. Ex- yeah. Quickly explain uh, uh, your and mine. I'm sure basic understanding of a simulation. Well, I just basically, and the way I look at this is, I just feel like at some point these robots, these computers, these smartphones, they're all going to take over at some point. Mm. Um, and the way I look at so it, is, so you're saying be nice to your smartphone. Don't say he's one of the good ones. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> because at some point, like you said, you you're talking about the um, the market up in Boston. They have dogs, they have robots, um, they have these type of cars. Like it's they're getting us ready for something. They, so, the mysterious <laughs> they up they, in the mountains. That's right. 
a simulation, uh, again, rudimentary from my perspective or understanding is a different theory. The theory is we're not here. The theory is we are a computer simulation that some species that is so far beyond us, we can't even comprehend them. Like imagine an ant farm. An ant, do you think an ant farm has any, and imagine somehow it was black. I don't know if ants can see out or whatever, but you could make it so they could. They wouldn't know they're in the middle of your office, <laughs> right? And your office is in the middle of Las Vegas and Nevada, United States, et cetera, right? Is the theory is that there is a computer simulation so advanced that we're all being fed, like our consciousness was programmed by this computer and we all think we're here we're all feeling pain if we hit our arm yeah but it's pain that the program programmed us to feel so imagine if if, if you what how many real things make us human right it's the ability to see i mean if you really break it down now you could break things down into subgroups but we feel we see we taste We've got a consciousness. We've got memories, you know, and again, back to sci-fi Blade Runner and, and that series discusses this, you know, and it's always what makes a human, but in a simulation, in theory, there's a thousand other simulations that there's a physic that tried crack cocaine when he was 22 in this other simulation. And he's now literally dealing three card Monty on Fremont street. <laughs> <laughs> and not enough money for the two pays. Dead bald, gray hair, three card Monty saying that he once went to Northwestern. <laughs> and there, and think about all the. And the thing is, they let these simulations run. They don't dictate anything. So the theory is almost like in war games where they kept running the simulations. They're all going on at once, and our consciousness is only a single simu one person quote unquote in one simulation now elon musk who the case could be made is the most innovative thinker of our generation and it's a really valid case a lot of people will say well he's more hype than anything okay he certainly has had elements of hype but oftentimes it was the bridge from where they were to where they needed to be till people could see the tr you know how wise his ideas were and who knows what's going to happen, but it's very possible that Elon Musk will change the entire world by making electronic cars, cars more viable. And wherever you're on the political spectrum, if you could have an electronic car that was just as good, if not better, and was better, who, who would say, you know, I, I know this car is not quite as good and I know that it's worse for the environment. I know it costs me more, but I want that car. Right. Usually it's the trade off, right? The planet and, 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 you know, the whole global climate change stuff versus how convenient is it for me? And now those on the left might say that guy's too selfish. He's too involved with himself, but it'd be the smallest minority that wouldn't want a better car cheaper that helps the environment. Right. And he's also potentially going to be the driver of us being us as in the human race, a multiple planetary species, meaning 
if we're on Mars. Now think about how important that is because there's a famous, boy, I've never quoted Einstein twice in the same podcast. There's a famous quote. I don't know how WW3 is going to be fought. He goes, but I know how WW4 is going to be fought with sticks and stones, which means whatever happens in World War III, it will, we will be back in the Stone Ages when it's done. And then the next big war is going to be like Game of Thrones type crap. All right. So if that's the case, meaning that every day that goes by, the chance of destroying the entire planet through some kind of smallpox type variant that Iran or the United States is studying for warfare. But lo and behold, it gets out. And all of a sudden the planet's wiped out and literally humanity is gone. No, no one's listening to Mozart. You put us on just a second place. It's like a redundancy. It'd be almost impossible for anyone. In fact, I think it would be impossible for any one event to destroy the human race. And the theory is if we have two planets and keep progressing in a scientific fashion as quickly as we are now, a third or fourth planets can be, and all of a sudden now we're all over the universe. And the idea, because really the sun is going to explode at some point. So no matter how optimistic you are about this planet, it will be a ball of fire at some point. I mean, we're talking billions of years, but then everyone's gone, you know. So the idea, we got to get out there. And if something happens now that sends us to the stone ages, it's going to set us back thousands and thousands of years. Cause in theory, we'd be back to where we are now. You know, if we got sent back, let's say to zero AD. So, you know, 2020 or 2019 years ago, in theory, it would take us about the same amount of time to get to where we are now. So if you get set back 2000 years, it's going to be tougher to be an interplanetary species. And if you real last thing, if you really think about the pace of growth of technology, I mean, think, you know, the famous story is that an iPhone has more computing power than all the computers that got us to the moon. We were able to land on the moon with all those mainframes, but the iPhone has more computing power. And that's been what, 40 uh, 50 years ago. Yeah, uh, I guess we're almost right at 50, right? So it was 69. Imagine another, can you even comprehend? I mean, Fez is a lot older, but Brad, I mean, imagine, (laughs) imagine 30 more years of this. You're going to be 65. That's not that old. You're going to be 65. If things move at the same pace they are now, what, I mean, can you even imagine? I what, can't, no. And not, but imagine 300 more years I've, or 500. The only thing that can stop us is some kind of cataclysmic event. Elon Musk wants to get us to another planet, so that can't happen in a way that would destroy us. 
or even set its way back. Because imagine some scenario that it w- didn't wipe everyone out, but all the computers fried and all the history books fried, and we're kind of back like, Faz, I, you're pretty smart, but I don't think you could build a light bulb, could you? <laughs> no. Right? If you watch Lost, you can see if you don't have the, you know. But if there's a whole other planet with all that information and people to come help us, you'd get back so much quicker. So, yeah, I, I don't know about all the hype. I know that Elon Musk in some amazing way is both trying to save this planet and get us to other planets. And literally this guy believes that we, that, that we're in a simulation and there's like a 40 minute video on it where he explains it all that it's in a discussion with someone else. All right. I figured you guys thought I needed to cover that, but <laughs> <laughs> Back to the idea of Fez being wrong. In fact, let's replay the theme song. All right, Fez. What we figured out was the numbers told us we should trust Curry's just as good, if not better, by himself. Our gut said, how in the heck could that be? Regardless of the five games since, do you agree the numbers told us what you're now believing? The numbers, yes, I agree. Make a convincing case. No, no, no. I'm talking past tense. Five games ago. When you said three. Durant's worth three. The numbers disagree. I know. Try to listen. What I said was that even five games ago, the numbers said Durant's borderline worthless. Correct. For this team. For Golden State, yes. Okay. But you said, I don't give a care about those numbers. Numbers schmumbers. I did. But you're supposed to be a math guy. Yeah, but I also watch the games, and the eye test says Durant's arguably the best player in the NBA. It is just hard to imagine that he has a negligible positive impact for any team. And even though the number said that he does have a negligible impact. The number, or if anything, a negative. Ne- uh, yeah, negative impact. Correct. And it's a, it's complex. It's a struggle. I've struggled with It's not with complex. It. It's you saying you trust your gut more than the numbers. Yes. Did you think that a week ago, that that's who you were? You know, I'm... <laughs> I'm having difficulty even answering questions on this because my 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 I moved so much on my previous poor estimate that I've just struggled with this whole concept. I I agree it's complex in the following way. And I hadn't thought of it. It's one of the nice things about doing the show every day. You talk about stuff enough and you kind of stumble on a certain line of thought. Here's the thing. If the numbers in your gut agree, the numbers are worthless because the numbers don't tell you anything new. Your gut's right. Now, if the numbers in the gut disagree, that's the only time the numbers matter. Because imagine Archie Bunker being the prototype of the guy at the end of the bar saying, you know, Haystack Hank style. In fact, let's hear what Haystack <laughs> would Because, you know, my guess is that, that Haystack and Fezzik are in a you know kind of a similar place right now. Now Haystack's not always here, but when I call for him, wait. Oh. Now remember guys, Haystack comes in. He for whatever reason takes Brad's seat. 
but he has his own boombox. The the theme music you're hearing is Haystack's theme music. Haystack, quick question. Golden State with without Durant, how do you value it? Well, I got to tell you, woo-wee, it's good to be back here. Haven't been back here too much since college football's over. That Kevin Durant, he's really good. Uh, maybe maybe better than LeBron. I got to think, man, with Kevin Durant, Golden State, man, they couldn't beat LeBron without him. With him, they beat him twice. Uh, they better with Durant. I, the numbers, I don't care about the numbers. So the numbers, how do you, how do you think? Uh, I go in my gut. Are you kidding me? Look at this thing, man. I mean, jeez. <laughs> got to go in my gut. So, Fez, does... Hey, Stat, could we just record? We, we just recorded that. Could we use that for your take? I think there was some haystack in me, RJ. So, where do you disagree with Haystack? <laughs> <laughs> well, the numbers are overwhelming in the opposite I'm direction. I'm sorry, I, I asked you a question. Where do you disagree with Haystack? Because Durant's as good as he is, and he's a great player, just does not translate into great. So you're repeating that you agree with him. I'm asking one more time. Yeah. Where do you, in what ways do you disagree with Haystack? I'm just struggling with all this. Had <laughs> a boy there, Fess. He ran, he come on to the right side. <laughs> Haystack's not here without the music. <laughs> come on. All right. Fess, I, I do too. Right. To me, I think here's the problem. Most people who think they're analytically driven really aren't. And they either don't have enough of the numbers or they don't look at them diligently enough. I mean, think about the Rockets. How many people do you think Daryl Morey has try, doing re? I mean, you see things like that, Harala Bob or whatever goes to teams. Mm. They've got, you know, I'm not saying warehouses full, but they usually have five or six or seven people in their analytics department literally spending all day mostly focused on their own team. Now, they're trying to figure out league-wide trends. Also, do they want to trade for other people? And that's one sport. How could any analytics person in sports batting that doesn't have a team of five or six, that doesn't spend full time on it, how's he going to understand every number that, and we've just admitted that even if you understand all the numbers now, it's still limited. But if you're only understanding half the numbers, meaning you're taking the time to consider them, I think that inherently you can't be fully analytic. Cool. And thus it's some blend of gut and analytics and now the question becomes, when they disagree, what do you trust? The very fact that you, as of 10 days ago, trusted your gut tells you you're not doing as much analytics as you thought. Because if you trusted mm -hmm. it, if you trusted it, you would have trusted the numbers. Yes. So the question is, you know, and, and this is one that I think we need to think about as time passes. It's not going to be immediate. You know, can we find the right guy to bring in the pregame? that literally is full-time analytics where he's going to be not doing it for his own use, though that might be part of it, is he's providing us with private, you know, where you see that he's got a Chinese menu of 15 different things. He's saying, Fez, I update these daily. Which one of these do you want sent to you? You might say all of them, and then you'll decide, am I going to spend enough time to really understand these? But in general, and there's a great book 
it doesn't get discussed enough. It's called smart money. Have you read that, Fez? Chronic. Yeah, the uh, smart yeah. money, yeah, the one that's supposed to be Billy Walters, but they use a fake name. Yes, it really go. And again, this book's now it was published more recently, but it was based on I think the two thousand two, two thousand three season, if I'm remembering, early two thousand. Yes. So think about how much computers have evolved, right? But even back then, it was it was a perpetual effort to t- tweak their algorithm, and any human being though. Can't live like, now you might say these are the seven things I think about, but the way you weight them is just all got, right? You're not putting, I mean, if you look at strength exactly. of schedule, injuries, all that, it's got, right? Home field advantage. How do I handle Miami suddenly putting a tarp so they're in the shade this year and last year versus prior years for the Dolphins? Great point. And usually when we disagree the most, it's when I feel like, that you are directionally right, that that tarp is going to decrease the advantage or or increase it for Miami, but you're acting like it's worth three or four mm-hmm. points. I think it's worth one. Back, to, you know. So now we we agree, but we still disagree ultimately about how much to weight it. Now I'll be honest, Fez and Brad are like two of the guys that I think their instincts are so good. That yeah, if I had a perfect algorithm, it's going to be better than Fez and Brad. But even if you have an algorithm that's ninety five percent right, I think I'd rather Fez's instincts than Brad's. That said, we need to keep understanding what's happening on that on the true analytics side and see how do we how can we integrate it into what we're doing. And in a way, that's what Billy Walters did, right? Pregame.com alum David Malinsky was given his numbers. He's passed away, given his numbers to Billy Walters for over 10 years. He had a guy that was just an injury guy. And I'm saying past tense because he's in jail, but I don't quite know what's going on right now. Some people say he's still playing. Is And then it was Billy that said, I, I'm going to weigh all this stuff. And there was no algorithm. Billy was the algorithm. He had all the raw data. And I think if we can find, like you found my weather guy and didn't, you know, you were making bets against me using my weather guy. I mean, that's <laughs> the dirtiest what, player in the game. I mean, you think? And, <laughs> and, but if we, our goal is, and it should be your goal, right? Even if you're not a Vegas professional out there, is how many chunks of info that are relevant and trustworthy can you put in front of you when you're looking at a game? One of them is going to be in college. It should be, unless you're nuts, Brad Powers and his power ratings, et cetera, et cetera. And there's going to be all this stuff. And that's what we're trying to, some of it might be who was RJ's best bet in, in this or that game. Whatever it is, you know, people say handicapping the handicappers. I think that's outdated. It's handicapping the sources of information and then deciding how to weight them. Anyone disagree? I don't. Strongly agree. This is RJ Bell's Dream Preview. Now back to R.J. Bell's 
Dream Preview. All right, I'm RJ Bell. We got Steve Fezzik, Brad Powers, Sleepy Jay in the control room, and Daryl. You know, I'm going to take a bow. But Brad, I'm going to let you make the case. On Straight Out of Vegas, we've had a few kind of game of the year type deals. One of them was my caloric intake prop bet of the year. Yes, you heard that right. Now, listen, I love food. Let's start there. Now, for as much as I love food, I'm thin. But I'm not thin. That's how much I love food. That's a bang bang. That's where we go have a whole meal at one place and then go right to another place and have another one. Bang bang. (laughs) So I am especially attuned to caloric deficiencies. Brad, tell the story how we arrived. And it, it was, I'm saying we in the royal we, just being very generous. Give, a, give, give us the story. So uh, player prop, Portland center, Enos Canner is a uh, practices, he's a Muslim. So right now during the month of May, it's majority in May, a little bit into June. It's, it's called Ramadan. And according to the Ramadan rules per the religion is you have to fast, not feast, Fez. <laughs> fast, not feast. Remember for the whole yeah. whole segment, he was calling it the Ramadan <laughs> feast. feast. Yeah, no <laughs> feast when you can't drink, you, ta- you can't take medications and you can't drink. And I got to tell you, I mean, I take in a lot of stuff, whether it be media, reading, a, a ton of guys. This was some of the best stuff that RJ, not we, RJ came up with. And he concluded, hey, this game starts at so-and-so time. It was like 6 o'clock. The game gets over sunset at 8.30. Well, that's when the game's over. How can Enos Canner, when he can't eat, he can't drink the entire day, how can he be effective? RJ goes under. And- oh, 200 stations Friday. Yep. Caloric intake prop of the year. And it covers. Under 11 and a half. Fez, how'd the game go? Uh Enos Cantor, two for three, four points, and only played, I believe, nine minutes in that game after averaging 23 No, minutes. no, no. If I remember correctly, it was the first game, which was that Friday game. He averaged like 31 or 32, and he yeah, played 19. Yeah, 31 or 32 yes. minutes. He played 19 minutes, but only had four points. And now that I think about it, that was Thursday. We came back on Friday, and I was saying, listen, this is so freaking sharp. I, you know, even though we're on 200 stations, I don't think everyone's got it yet. And we put a buy price out at, I think, eight, eight and a half was your estimate. We said do it again on Saturday. And how'd that do? Well, he got benched, Enos Canner. Didn't even start. Only played seven minutes. Fewest minutes he's played all year. And he was actually incredibly lucky to get seven points. But seven still minutes. under. You still yes. won. So it was almost like we can't comprehend how we could have lost those bets. Like, like, what would be the scenario? He would have had to have scored. He, if he would have made every shot he took, we still wouldn't have lost either. Yeah, he would have had to have gotten more than a point a minute. No, 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 no. You're missing my point. Given the givens of how many mm. minutes he played, how many times he shot, is there's no level of optimism, which would be making, if he made every shot both those games, he still would have went under. Correct. Now, that's a bet. And I think the beauty that you identified, RJ, is how important it was to have all these cumulative 6.05 twilight start times where he had to go the entire day fasting. And then he only had one day off and then he had to do it again. 
And it wasn't like it was a four o'clock start time. It was the worst possible time. The game ended literally when he was allowed to start drinking and eating again. <laughs> and it wasn't in celebration. No, those no. about over. Four straight games. <laughs> and listen, here's the thing. Nobody, and I mean nobody, talks about how hard it is to win at sports betting more than we do. And I often say there's a lot of good sources out there. They're not near as entertaining. I don't think they hate most of them. Let's just say this. Some might have the same depth of knowledge. I mean, maybe one or two, but it's like listening to paint dry. And then the ones that try to be entertaining are like, they're making three, four mistakes an hour. I mean, Brad, you, you consume at least for a while, all of them. I mean, is that even debatable? It's not. All right. But there are good pieces of info or, or info sources out there. If you can grit your teeth and get through them, I think use them all if you think they're good. But if someone tells you it's easy to win, run the other way. That is kind of one of the easy things. Oh, yeah, game of the year, sell your house. We have games of the year which means we like this game the most of any game this year, but it's going to lose 40 or more percent of the time. Be ready. I won't say bitch, but that's what we kind of be ready, bitch. (laughs) (laughs) Remember on a breaking bad where they did something once and it was scientific based. I got a lot of stuff to watch. Oh, you haven't watched breaking bad. I have not. And Jesse goes, he's driving away and they're celebrating. He goes, science, bitch. (laughs) Hilarious. (laughs) All right. What made you remember that part? I I have a weird mind like that. Your mind is beautiful. Ah, uh, ugly sometimes and beautiful sometimes. I'll take it. A beautiful mind. Thank you, Daryl. Well, let's hope I don't get schizophrenia. No, no, not like that. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Thank you, though. Is to me, here's the exception about it's hard to win. And Fez, you can speak. You know, Matty Holt helped me understand this the most. The next time he's in... And during the off season, you know, he's, he doesn't handicap this stuff as hard. Come back then if how he does. But he's an expert at the industry. So we'll try to have him in at least once before football. The, uh, the books don't have as much time to sit and contemplate all this stuff. They've got, and, and, and you were, and a lot of people don't know this, Fez was a consultant on site at Pinnacle and think about that sharpest book in the world at the time. They said, Fez, we want you lived where I was living in Vegas at the time. Oh, so you didn't live down there. I went to Coruscant for like two months. Jesus fucking Christ. Oh, I wasn't living there. I was living out of a hotel. If you, but you go, were there, you're yeah, there for, two, for months. two months living there. Yeah. <laughs> this is, this goes, guys, this goes on all day where I'll ask him a question. He'll answer like he doesn't speak the language. Me and Brad will just like, our face will drop. We go through it and then he goes, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Like we were right to start with. <laughs> so Kurosawa was the answer. Yes. Okay. And explain to me, it's a, you know, pick the sport and now the player props are going up. What's the process? So the process is let's go ahead and take a look at the marketplace and see what, if anyone else has them up. 
Okay. Someone's got to do the world open. Yeah, someone has the world open. So, okay, Kawhi Leonard, what's his number of points? 30. Okay. So, so when you say his number of points, you mean his average on the season? No, that's what's already been up, that someone's put that number up. Okay, okay. well, listen, so, hold on, hold on. I kind of get if the if the line's up already somewhere else, that the book is going to look at it and say, do we have any particular buys here? And is in... Does our clientele have a particular bias? All uh, it's a jur- you know, you're in Jersey and they're going to bet OBJ. Well, I guess not OBJ anymore, but they're going to bet so and so over. We go up a, a yard and a half. I got it. I'm talking about the world open. Okay. So the world open, you look at his season year to date average. Then you look at his recent average, like over the past See, where's few the weeks. trend line? Exactly. Is he improving? Is he getting worse and the like? So usually you'll weight the most, the recency impact more. So let's say he's been averaging. 30 points the past two weeks, but he was 28 for the season. So 30 might be a little bit high. Okay, 29 and a half. Now let's see who's he playing against. Is it a high total? Are they favored by a lot? Do we think he's going to get more minutes or less minutes than he normally would? Go ahead and blend that in. Tweak the number a little bit more from that 29 and a half. Let's assume they're a huge favorite. Um, not a huge favorite, but like a 12-point favorite on a really high total. All right, we'll make it 30 and a half. Okay, so now... Everything except the very end of that, a very simple Excel sheet could do. Right. You have your year to date. You have your last X, whatever, if it's 14 date, whatever you want it to be. You decide how to weight it with your co- coefficient. And, and you're going to literally, if you just have the numbers put in there correctly, have the starting point with no, you know, literally XML into the sheet with literally no effort. Agreed? Agreed. There's not a ton of games or player situations, but there's some that there's factors that are humongous that aren't considered by what you just said. Exactly right. Who's going to be guarding him? And what's the history between him and the team he's yeah, playing? Yeah, who's going to be that. guarding him might move it two or three points. Mm-hmm. But something like, and we've had a couple of them this year, you know, something like, you know, this, it's, it's some game in, uh, uh, Tuesday in February, NBA, but this is this, this guy that averages 14 points a game. This is his hometown. He really, really cares about this hometown. Cause, you know, what's someone's hometown? Were they three years old that, you know, he cares and they're 15 point favored. So they can kind of dish the ball to who they want. It's the old when Magic came back and played in the All-Star game. Yeah, All-Star game's a fantastic example. The the home team player typically gets seven more points. Now, something that's a standalone game like that, maybe it's being considered. But when there's 12 NBA games on a night every night and there's 100 college basketball games, I believe if you cherry pick an understanding that you might only get six of these a month. Even if you're really just, you know, you pick one sport, you dig in and understand. I think there's going to be six props a month that you could hit 65% on. Agreed. And the catch 22 is how much can you get down? So let's use that as an example. If I wanted to max my canter bet, and again, this is Enos Cantor with a K under that first Thursday. And if I said, Fez, I'm hyper motivated. Get me, you know, a, uh, 
what's that called? A no limit order is what uh, Brian Mack used to call him way back when. If you know that guy, I think he's dead. I don't know. Is he was one of the first kind of on, I think it was 97, 98. And he, he was really a good marketer, but one of them he called, it wasn't no limit. It was open order. I think he called it, which was that Billy or whomever was telling everyone, get as much as you can. I'm not, Brad, you're, you're moving money for me. It's not 10 dime order. It's an open order. Get all you can. Now, if you're buying the pick, that sounds great, doesn't it? Yeah. So I say Fez open order. How much could you have gotten me down? I can get you 10,000 under 11 and a half and under 11, RJ. Do you want to take under 10 and a half after that? So the 10,000, so 5,000 under 11 and a half? And 5,000 under 11. Okay. So I get, but you got 29 outs. Yeah, some of them don't have can. No, I'm up. saying, but what right. I'm saying is that's max. Yeah. Because to me, if you can have six bats a month for, for, for five dimes, let's say you're taking the best number only. And at 65%, your ROI is what? Uh, it's, so it's 13% above 15.4 times two, 26%. Okay. Pretty good. That's why fat. That's why it's here, folks. Little fuzz, exactly. Yeah. All right. So you put 5,000 on that, you're going to be making what? Like 1,200 bucks? 1,250, yeah. Hmm. So I'd make 6,000 a month from that. You know okay. something? The hitman's going to be out here. I mean, we're going to be killing the NFL with it. But I really believe it's prop market. And and again, guys, this is coming from the guy that says that 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 it, it's hard to win. Bet bet like it's for fun. And unless you're going full time and like, you know. But but boy, I mean, we've been doing it on straight out of Vegas the whole playoffs. I mean, yeah. we are like we've had like about six game, either the game, which was the one Golden State game, which again, that was me ahead of the curve with Curry. But the one Golden State game on the money line at plus 280 uh, in game six, which was our game, more my game of the year. But we've had maybe five other props or games that we said this is, it was at Philadelphia in the one spot. Remember the line moved like six points. We said, Kevin Durant over a point total. Yes, after he said, remember that you know who I am. The market didn't even move. And to me... One, listen to straight out of Vegas. I mean, we're giving them to you free when we get them. But number two, I, I really believe over 60% is possible. Oh, I agree. All right. Okay. Let's finish up. So by the way, the whole kind of clear the computer stuff, it's going to be in the future. Let's wrap up what we need to wrap up. First off, Golden State coming in. We don't know who they're playing. Taping at the pregame.com offices on Wednesday night. And hmm, let's think about this. What do you expect Durant's return timetable to look like, Steve Fezzik? Very interesting because I would expect he doesn't get back until game four of the NBA Finals. But, RJ... Now what's the what's driving that rationale? Okay, he has a calf strain. So there's two types of... There's three types of calf strains. A type one, a type two, and a type three. A type one would be seven to ten days that you would miss. So guess what happened? Durant hurt himself on May 8th. Nine days later, so that's right at the time he should come back if he's got a a, a strain of um, category one. Steve Kerr comes out and says, you know, it's not looking good for Durant. Um, it's worse than we thought. So 
a logical conclusion is he has a type 2 calf strain. Well, four to six weeks is the prognosis for when you should be able to return. Well, guess what? Exactly four weeks would be June 5th, which would coincide with game three and game, I'm sorry, game four of the NBA finals. But this isn't a binary or I don't, what is it of the street choice? I'm not even sure what the word is, but it's a spectrum, right? Absolutely. So he could have a 2.2 grade or he could have a 1.7. All you knew about after the first time he said, "Uh Oh, it's worse than we thought that it's above one. Right? Yeah. But I, but when I read, they said it's either a type one or a type two. They didn't say there's like a hybrid. Yeah, but that's because people don't understand. I mean, what I'm saying is in a diagnosis where you're doing a chart and maybe down the road, some other doctors looking at it, you need very clear buckets, but you're going to have a range of spraying types of fall enough. in each bucket, right? Yeah. Fair enough. Let me ask this question. Does any player in NBA history has, has, I'll talk past tense. Has any player in NBA history been more affected in a negative way by any one event? And in this case, it's going to be Durant's absence and how well the Warriors played. Any other player ever been affected this badly? Because I would make the case, even if Durant comes back, plays well, but not amazing. And they win the finals. And he comes back game three, four, whatever. Now, first question. If we're looking hindsight, hindsight, meaning it's Hall of Fame time, he's going to make the Hall of Fame, but it's five years down the road. What are the odds? Let's say Durant left. If I told you the following, Fez, and you've got to come up with a line, and then I'm going to let Brad answer when you're scribbling. Fact, Durant's leaving after this year. That's the only thing you know. What are the odds he wins an NBA title from here? Take your time. Think on it. So, Brad, you're getting my point. My point is going to be, hey, if he ends up winning two or three other titles, it change, this isn't even a conversation. Yep. If he doesn't win another one, <laughs> or maybe he wins one when he's 37 or 38 and he's the, he's the second or third guy now. He's not the leader on the team. Yep. Isn't the story going to be, well, there was the greatest team in NBA history in the regular season. He went to them. They had won titles before they won titles after. But, oh, by the way, when he was out for extended period of times during the last title run, they actually played better. And before that, even though he played with Hall of Famer Westbrook and Hall of Famer Harden, they couldn't win a title. And after that, he had his choice of where to go and he couldn't win a title. Wouldn't this, because if, if he would have played out this time and he went three for three, they would have said, hey, he did go to a super team, but you can't do better than three for three. Yep. It feels like this would change the entire narrative of his career. I totally agree with that. I don't know how you could consider him because right now, I mean, majority of people think he's the best player in basketball. But if you're looking at a history, I don't think, how could you put that guy in the top five in the annals in NBA history when he couldn't do it by himself? A lot of these guys have did it by himself. And again, we're making assumptions yeah. moving forward. Yeah, I don't think you could put him on that Mount Rushmore. Not even close, RJ. And my point would be, is he going to be thought of much more than, let's say... Um, Scottie Pippen? 
A little bit more. Well, no, because with Pippen was always a Robin to Batman, and he was comfortable with that. And if anything, him accepting that role, I think, gives him more respect. I'm talking about Carl Malone. I think he's going to be looked at in that case like a Carl Malone, like a guy that was dominant. But when the chips were down, he couldn't win, which seems crazy considering odds are they're going to have a third title. But the re, but there could, the caveat will be he couldn't win unless he was on a super team mm. that didn't really need him. And Malone, remember those that are old enough, Malone was, he won an MVP over Jordan. Yeah. Right. He was considered to be one of the best NBA players of all time as the years have gone by. And unless I'm mistaken, I think he's the second leading scorer of all time or third. I mean, he's right up yeah, he's there. Up there. When do you ever hear about him? Not much. It feels like so. Fez, you got your number. I do. I give him Durant a sixty percent chance. Oh, you want to book it? I would. I I am so fast on the no. Your head. So explain how you fit because what you did is some variation of saying I think he's got a ten percent chance the next four years. So give me the math. Show us your work. Yeah. So what I did is I said I'm going to give him a ten percent chance, exactly as the number I came up with on average over the next seven years. Seven. Yeah. How old is he? He's like 31. I'm, I'm going to get there. So when he's 38, he has a 10% chance to win it. Yeah, because he could certainly like go ahead and do like the Carl Malone to the Lakers type of situation. How many did he win? None. <laughs> okay, go ahead. Okay, so as it turns out. So that's not quite the situation yeah, you're talking yeah, about. But, and, and of course, that 10% is a hybrid. It's a higher in some years, lower in other years. But it turns out if you have a 10% chance to go ahead and do something over a seven-year period, it's 50-50. But somehow you got him at 60%. Yeah, because I figured there could be a few years that he goes ahead and could be like a 20%. So you're saying like into his 40s. No, I'm saying like even like three years. He won't be 10% every year. I'm saying it's like there'll be a year that he's 14%, 13%, Well, hold on a second. In theory, next year should be his best year. Meaning he'll have his choice of where to go. By all accounts, it's going to be the Knicks and Kyrie. So let's just assume that's the case. Knicks, Kyrie, and the and and their number f- uh, three pick, right? R.J. Barrett. Yep. What odds are you putting on the Knicks? I would I would disagree. Ten uh, percent. I would disagree that that's as highest. I would think the second year with the Knicks would be higher than the Why? first year because of the integration, everyone getting used to playing with each other. Bullshit. I mean, once you're right, they might start the season slow. But if you're if they end up being the third seed, does it really matter? I think that having that experience together does matter. <sighs> All right. So even the second. So what odds would you put, assuming that the core team? is Kyrie, Durant, and Barrett. Because the idea that they're like seven or eight to one is absurd. Yeah, it's a little... It, it In the first year, 10%. No, I'm saying the second year. Second year, I would say 10%. No, I know that's what you said. Yeah. I'm saying you're freaking crazy and defend it. You think that's too high? Way too high. Well, what were the odds? What was the odds of Boston coming in this year to win the title? I'm trying to think back when they were favored. Um, Boston wasn't favored to win the title. Like seven over one. Golden State. No, they were favored to win the East. No, they That's, were. But, and are Golden you State, hearing my question? Golden State was a dominant team also. I think Boston was like seven to one. Well, I, I got to be honest with you. Maybe it was seven to one at William Hill at some, you know, mm-hmm. 
40% hold plays. I mean, I can't even imagine Durant. Well, let's think of it like this. How much better was the OKC team the last year they had Durant than that Knicks team? They were in the seven to one range. You're just looking at one place. Sports side history. Yeah, but well, there, there's some. But that, that's just one out they're looking at. I mean, and it's usually like Bowman's or something. I yeah, that Oklahoma City was a much. But we, hold on a second. We're forgetting something big. These odds have all the vig in them. That's a good point. And usually the vig is like forty percent. Yes. So what's the true odds at seven to one? I'm going to recant. Yes. My number is like a, is not adjusting enough for the vigorous. So I'm going to drop that 10% down to 6%, which means Durant, instead of being 60%, I'm going to drop that down to about 40%. I I think that's more fair. Now, I do think, like you said, maybe even gets to 50 cause of a, but here's the thing. If he has a Carl Malone, but successful type Lakers situation, that would be discounted too. Like when Walt ended up winning with the Lakers, it didn't change the narrative. He wasn't a winner all that much. It was like he had to go to Jerry West and win. So to me, and and in hindsight, that OKC team and not winning with them is going to look bad because Westbrook will be a Hall of Famer who is the only guy to ever have a triple-double during a season average since the big O and literally he would have done it two years in a row. And who freaking knows if he does it a third year this year and Harden's going to go down as one of the 20 best players of all time. Yep. So the idea that that team couldn't win. Steven Adams was a monster inside. I mean, Abaka was pretty good back then. (laughs) Yeah. So I got to be honest with you. I think that the narrative went from, yeah, maybe he, there was problems in OKC, but he came in and swept the freaking board and he was the A guy. He was the alpha. That would have been the story, right? Yep. Now the story is, yeah, he was the alpha, but it was totally superfluous. It was redundant. If he was there or not, Golden State would have done the same thing. Totally fair to say that. I'm not sure I agree with it. Yeah. Because I do think regardless of the numbers, just like the lineup of death, you can't play it that much because of the wear and tear. I think in general or general Curry playing and being the focus that much over an extended season, there's no way you win three straight titles, I think, like that. Yeah, and he was showing wear and tear in that 2015 and 16 finals a little bit. No wear and when tear. they lost, you mean. yeah, when they lost in sixteen, no wear and tear right now. Why? Because he wasn't needed on an eighty-two game basis. Yeah. So all I'm saying is Duran hurt himself. Many believe he's the best player in the game, and somehow, some way, this absence is might have the biggest effect on his legacy than any other single, you know, reasonable event. Meaning. You know, if, if some player died in a plane crash when they were 24, it had an effect, right? But when it comes to things like this, I think it's right at the top. I Anything else about Golden State? I think what's interesting, Fez, is the way, and Brad, you've been talking about this too, the way they've played their bench where Curry's been just throwing them out there, uh, seeing who's hot, and then it seems like going with the hot hand. 
But it's been pretty effective. Yeah, so the last two games, Golden State's had four bench players that scored four or more points. Doesn't sound like that much, but the bench has gotten much more actively involved with Curry. And frankly, Golden State hasn't panicked. In the, they get down by double digits, and they keep playing the bench guys. And yeah, they play Curry in the fourth quarter typically the whole way. But uh, I got to tell you, this bench that was completely maligned has really gelled and played well together here. It's interesting you say maligned. Unjustifiably in a position that I'd rather not be in. <laughs> oh, I thought that one. Ah, I thought that one had maligned in it. He has one that does. <laughs> Let me try the other one. Hold on a second. No, I don't think this one does either. Man. And there is no one that does it better. So I've got another one of his I haven't loaded oh. yet. He says, Mal- I'm fairly maligned. <laughs> is that what he said? All right. <laughs> I think Kerr is a much better coach than we realize. We talked about it last week, but man, I mean, it just feels like, oh, he could just roll the ball out. Well, there's been some really good teams that, that blew up because of ego. I mean, obviously Kobe and Shaq and supposedly Phil Jackson was the genius of keeping guys together. Now, not saying that it, it isn't because Kobe and Shaq were more, you know, difficult to deal with, perhaps. All right. Anything else on Golden State? Well, I just think captain comeback here against Portland, the fact they had three straight games that they trailed by 17 or more points in the second half, and they won them all. This is a resurgent team, RJ, beyond impressive. I agree. Okay, guys, here's how we're going to finish with vigor. We are going to talk about Milwaukee, Toronto. It's 2-2. And then best bets. Dave Essler, Uncle Dave, has a best bet on Thursday's game. Fezzik has a best bet on the same game. Do they agree? Do they disagree? And Brad Powers, for the first time ever, ever, has a NFL bet this early. Have you ever had an NFL bet this early? Yeah, I had one last week. Mm. <laughs> for the first time in seven days. But that was the first time. Yeah, that was the first time. Okay. <laughs> He's coming. He's getting ready for the NFL pod and the green button, baby. I got to prep early. All right. So, Fez, brain dump on us. All the factors you think matter, not in this next game that we're going to have best bets on, the series itself, Toronto, Milwaukee. I got to talk about the benches of the two teams, RJ. We just saw game four where Toronto's bench had a great game and they outscored Milwaukee two to one. The bench did. And Basically, Toronto's down to playing three bench guys. All three had monster games. Powell, Ibaka, and Fred Van Vliet. They're plus minus of these three guys. Think about this. We're plus 24 or higher for all three of those guys. So if you just watched that game, you'd say, ooh, Toronto, look at that supporting cast. They got a great bench. Well, that same bench has completely underperformed throughout the NBA playoffs and against Milwaukee in games one through three. That bench had been outscored by Milwaukee's bench by an average of 17 points per game. I trust games one, two, and three and the bulk of the NBA playoffs. And I think that game four was an aberration when Toronto's bench played out of their minds. Now, the marketplace says the Milwaukee is still clearly better. One, the line will be getting to a pick in this game. The line in game five is Milwaukee's minus six and a half to minus seven. It's 50, 50. So about two and a half to three points better plus home court. Four points. Okay. Now, 
if you look at the series price, the series price, just the lay is Milwaukee minus two seventy five. Okay. No take back. What's the take back? Take backs plus two thirty five. Okay. Now, <laughs> now the market saying Milwaukee's better. Colin Cowherd. Now listen, I really like Colin. I mean, I can't lie. He's in a way he's been my radio mentor. This is where I go. I go to Vegas via the Coward Global Satellite Network. RJ Bell, pregame.com. But when he's wrong, he's wrong. There are no sacred cow herds. He was saying, you know, Golden State's here up in the stratosphere. Toronto and Milwaukee are pretty much the same team. They're one good guy. They play well, they win. If they don't, they lose. I disagree with that. Make the case why he's wrong. Yeah, I strongly disagree with that. And I'd, I'd ask Colin, are you just... Well, you don't know, Colin. You won't get a chance to ask him. All right. I'll have you ask him. No. Back, <laughs> where was he game four? He must have made his biggest bet of his life because Toronto was home game four against Milwaukee. Well, first off, Colin lives in LA and he makes $6 million a year. So, so he doesn't have to make any bet. Fair enough. So... <laughs> Nevertheless, Toronto was an underdog at home, a three-point underdog. So think about this. You get four points for home court advantage. So in game four, basically, Vegas was saying... But what he's reacting to was what happened in game four. He's overreacting to what happened in game four. It's still one data point, RJ. Somehow it seems like you went on a couple data points from Durant being worth three to nothing. <laughs> Fair enough. But if there's one series, I would argue that I have called correctly in terms of overreaction really? to the market. That's interesting. Is, Toronto, if I re- hold on, hold on. On straight out of Vegas in game four, you had a lean on who? On the winner on Toronto. He did. Really? I thought he was leaning Milwaukee. No, he leaned Toronto. But you didn't even like it. I liked Toronto game three and won with it. No, no, I didn't ask that. But in game four... You didn't even like it. I didn't like Kawhi. it. You were I was, scared of what? I was scared of Kawhi with the, and we don't really know. Is Kawhi injured? He's limping at times. He's wincing at times. Who knows? Well, listen, Steve Fezzik, MD, has not yes. held back in the past from assessments. <laughs> yeah, so Steve Fezzik, MD, has been wrong in his assessments. So no I'm really not sure about Kawhi's health, but it's certainly, you know, it's a, it's, it, in many ways right now, it's like a free roll. If Kawhi is healthy, you can make a case that this line is pretty accurate. If Kawhi is not healthy, Toronto probably in a lot of trouble game five. I, I don't think he's that hurt because uh, let's just put this out here. I, I think it as far as effort goes, where's effort going to show most? On the defensive side of the ball? W- would you agree with Agreed. that? Agreed. So in the last two games, games three and four, and this was an adjustment that Toronto made to go on Giannis, Kawhi has been guarding Giannis for games three and four. Games one and two, Kawhi only guarded Giannis 19 total possessions. In the last two games, 75 total possessions, nearly five times as much. And yet Giannis has had back-to-back subpar games, including Game 3, his worst playoff game he's ever had. I mean, if it takes maximum effort to guard one of the best players on the defensive side of the ball, how hurt can you be? So one of our theories is, and you don't have a prop for your best bet, do you? I do not have a prop. Okay. One of our theories is maybe look quiet to go under in points in Game 5. The theory being, if he's hurt, the under makes sense. 
And if he's not hurt, but he spends more energy on defense, he won't spend as much on offense. That makes a lot of sense. And what also makes sense is now Toronto goes on the road. And let's face it, they're a seven-point underdog here, six-and-a-half-point underdog. So just fewer points for Toronto's team in general means fewer points for Leonard. Well, yeah, mathematically projected, absolutely. Now, so we've addressed that there's been that. Now, couldn't the case be made that since they put Kawhi on Giannis, that Toronto is clearly the better team? Because if you add up a overtime win at home with a home domination, because let's be honest, what did Milwaukee do the first two games against them? They won, won a four. very close yeah. game. And they blew him out one. Yeah. It, it, so what What did Toronto do? Toronto won a double overtime game. Which is called a very close game. Correct. Yep. And they blew him out. Yes. But so somehow far. when Milwaukee did that, we were coordinate. <laughs> we were, there was a coordination of how great they were. That to me is the key to all this. Fez is right that if we assume game one and two is what the, the level of play Milwaukee is expected to be. Then it is a free roll, meaning if Kawhi's hurt, man, there is value, a ton of value on Milwaukee. And if Kawhi is, then that eh, line's probably about right. I think you can look at it the other way. If this change of Leonard on, obviously they didn't do it initially for a reason. They must have thought he was too big or what. The fact he's been able to do it, doesn't that change the whole, does that make the weight of the last two games so much more? Possibly, but Chris Middleton, he had been guarding, and Chris Middleton's the number two scorer for Milwaukee, so it could just mean more. And how did Middleton, Middleton do last game? I mean, what I can tell you for sure is he did well enough for them to lose by 18 points. <laughs> yeah. uh, Middleton, 11 for 15, 30 points. Okay, fine. And they lose by 18. Yeah. So I'm, I don't seem scared of that if I'm Toronto. So I, I don't know the answer, but to just dismiss that there was this fundamental change. The very best defender in the league, some would say, going against supposedly the most unstoppable player in the league, and he stopped them two straight games. Do we just shrug at that? We shouldn't. Fez is just shrugging. I don't give a care. I don't think I should shrug it off. But you are. Because I didn't hear any analysis about that until Brad brought it up. Well, like I said, I think I think Middleton, I think you make a good case that it's going to hurt their offense with Giannis, but Middleton is going to be much more Like effective. in game four. Yes. And he did that. Middleton did average 20 points per game over the season. So, But they lost by 18 points. Well, the bench played out of their minds for Toronto, and it was a horrible bench game for Which Milwaukee. Which I think brings up the saga of Steve. What's your middle initial? Jay. Stephen J. Fazek and a man up north, Van Vliet. You look uncomfortable, Steve. No, I'm good. I know. I know you don't like sharing your emotions. Would you say you're repressed? I wouldn't disagree. <laughs> he won't even tell. I'm so repressed. I won't tell you I'm repressed. <laughs> I want to look up the definition of the word first. You don't know what repressed is? Like repressed rage? Repressed anger? It's like suppressed, right? No, repressed. Yeah. It's something that you're holding back. Mm -hmm. Okay. <laughs> we know that you love your family. Because you gotta. I'm not saying that's why, but you know, that's kind of a given. 
Now, we also know you love Jimmy G. Now, a lot of people might say, and we get a lot of new listeners, he loves Jimmy G. What do you mean? Well, here's what I want to do. Steve, I want you to say the following. Hello, I'm Steve Fezzik. Hello, I'm Steve Fezzik. I love Jimmy G. Now, does that sound like the same person? No, not at all. Do it one more time. Hello, I'm I'm Steve. Fezzik. Hello, I'm Steve Fezzik, former actuary. <laughs> I love Jimmy G. It's like there's so much bass, and yeah. it's almost like he's speaking from his soul. It's almost like almost like a somehow he's inhabited. You know, like, 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 yeah, like, he's got a like demon the, or something. Like, the, but a demon of love. I <laughs> yeah. love demon. Yeah. I and, love demon. And when that, I love demon. And, and when that comes out, he sounds different. Yeah. Well, let's speak to the love demon. Who is in control of your body right now? <laughs> <laughs> you know how they do the exercise? Yeah. That's exactly how <laughs> All right. Now, Jimmy G's number one. Clearly. Until further notice. But Van Vliet was number two. He was. Now, we don't have to get into exactly when it started, timeline. It's been multiple years. Yeah, always talking about how great Van Vliet is and how he's underappreciated by everyone in the betting markets. Now, in The Godfather, they talk about the Thunderbolt. So when Michael met Apollonia in Sicily that in the book, and they talk about it in the movie, he's hit by the thunderbolt. And if you actually listened or watched billions, when he was talking to his now ex-wife Axe was like, you know, when I saw you, I was hit with the thunderbolt. That's become part of, you know, the parlance of society. I don't apologize to take care of my family. Now, do you remember the moment that your feelings emerged about Van Vliet? I don't. It was not the Thunderbolt. It was more gradual. Just over time. Yes. Like you're working beside the girl. You're laughing at her, laugh, laughing with her. I mean, and then one minute you look over and think, I've got to be with you. It's all growing on me. Yep. Exactly. Okay. Now, years went by. What we now know is that at a certain point, things went sour. From the point where you started feeling the beginning of that sourness to the point that you <laughs> completely rejected him, that you took your love away in the parlance of the 80s. <laughs> Y'all are cracking me up in here. <laughs> How long was it from then till now? How long ago was it? It's been uh, two and a half weeks. <laughs> and... <laughs> And how quickly did it happen? Whereas if every day I'd ask you, how's your love meter? And, you know, all through February, you would have said 100%, 100%, 100%, 100%. At a certain point, it would have been less than 100%. Did it go from 100 to zero immediately? How did it go? No, 100, 90, 80, 70. So every bad game he had, you just took more and more love away. Yeah, and every game was a bad game, so that that's easy. So take away 10% of the love each and every game he underperforms and scores his three points per game and shoots his 15% from the field in the playoffs. 
Now, you knowing math knows if you take 10% away from 100, it's 10%. You take 10% away from 20, it's 50%. So you were actually taking more and more away. Yeah, more and more. Because when you get hurt, you get vindictive. Yeah, he just, my love crumbled like three-day-old cake. (laughs) And then it got to the point where you were renouncing him. Exactly right. And And it was three weeks. Yes. And that was, he called it a, gra- it wasn't even a thunderbolt. It was a gradual yearly uptick love, but in three weeks went to No, zero. no, no. I think he went at the beginning from, oh, it's yeah, pretty good yeah. to the point of love. Oh. And then it took a while. But then, listen, can you, is there a degree of love or is love a state? Mm. Right. You can't be a little pregnant. Yeah. Right? No, you're either in love or you're not in love. I agree with that. And at a certain point, Fez was in love. Year, for years with family and then he fell short for a couple of weeks and then Fez took his love away yep. some point during the Philly series <laughs> now here's the question how did he play in game four he played like his previous best games ever he was five for six he made all of his threes he was the man he was plus 25 on his plus minus he looked like and not a bench guy he looked like an all-star starter <laughs> i don't know about no, that I'll, I'll, t- I'll tell you this you know how it is with love daryl even when you let it go there's the echoes of love oh wow and here's what i know on my twitter his twitter handle is at rj in vegas I got more people talking about Van Fleet yep. after it's game four. It's on too. I'm like, what the hell? Every night? And now the question was, is Fez going to swing back around? Uh, whereas this happens. Remember, Elizabeth Taylor was married to Richard mm. Burton multiple times. If I read, I wasn't around. Is there a chance of reconciliation? No. Really? Wow. You're- no, because now I am actively rooting against Van Vliet. I've got a vested interest in Fear the Deer, Milwaukee. No, no that's fine, but I'm yeah. saying the next series, next yeah. year. No, he's been too bad this playoffs. Wow. <laughs> We're I, done. It's over. Dang. It's over. So Remind he, me not to have a couple bad weeks. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Is we're just seeing fat. Listen, when you grow up and you're hurt, what happens is you defend that heart. Like, like, like it's, it, it's like almost like the boy in the bubble, but you're, it's your heart that's in case. And Van Vliet snuck his way in somehow. And when he heard him, he just ripped him out. It didn't even, it threw him against the wall. If he took a little bit of his aorta with it or whatever in there, it's like, okay, got to get Van Vliet out. I was made to look ridiculous by him. And well, a man of my position does not. Want to look ridiculous. Uh, finally, Fez knows a movie to quote. He quotes the Godfather. I give him credit. Good stuff. <laughs> and allow me to be even more frank. Okay. Now, is this the way you are with people in your life? Meaning, let's say, <laughs> let's say in the past, an ex-girlfriend hurts you. Were you the type to completely demonize or badmouth her around town? Or were you the type to say, you know, she's got her perspective. I got mine. I tried my best, but she's got a good heart. I wish her wow. I'm more like a, just a controlled alt delete. Just stop thinking exactly. about it. So you just eradicate anyone that could hurt you. You eradicate. Erase. Yeah. All right. Now we know, Brad, don't F up. I guess not. Jeez. <laughs> All right. 
Do we have anything else? You know, there was one other thing. And Brad, maybe you can pull this up because since I haven't gone through my pile of notes, is Mackie did some research on how the first quarter was going for Milwaukee relative to the rest of the game. And I actually might have it right in front of me. This is interesting. For the whole playoffs, and this is uh, entering, or this is as of Wednesday, is in the first quarter. Now, remember, the Bucks have had a, a great record. Uh, also, by the way, it applies again. They have a great record after a loss this season. So it didn't work last time, but they do. This playoffs, in the second quarter, they outscored opponents net 39 points. In the third quarter, 77. In the fourth quarter, 28. So in those three quarters, 39 plus 77 plus 28. In the first quarter, they outgained or outscored their opponents, Milwaukee, by six points. So six versus 39, 77, 28. Now, limited number of games. This season, their net margin, Milwaukee, was the worst in the first quarter. Only 1.8 points per game. So it strikes me, Fez, we've got over 90 games now that this first quarter for Milwaukee is not good. First of all, are those enough? Is that statistically significant in your mind? It is just because you'd expect the opposite, right? This is a team with a great point differential and usually teams that outscore opponents like Milwaukee does by nine points per game. It's that first quarter that has the best number, not the worst number attached to it. So to me, if you're looking to fade Milwaukee in any given spot, is there any reason not to make it the first quarter? Meaning I get the whole, hey, you only have 12 minutes to exert the truth of your handicap but if a lot of your handicap, if you kind of half like to fade Milwaukee, you wouldn't even bet the whole game. But maybe the first quarter makes it where it's worthwhile. What do you think? Yeah, it certainly makes sense to me that if you're going to go against Milwaukee, it would be in the first quarter. And let's let me let's face it, the first quarter line in this game is two and a half. The game line is six and a half. So the marketplace is putting a premium at Milwaukee. As if so, if the line six and a half, typically, what's the first quarter? Two. Wow. So All right, I'm giving my pick. So what else? we got, I guess we had one other thing. Oh, Fez, let's talk about one other thing. We'll go to best bets. The other thing is that the line is out right now, projection between Milwaukee and Golden State. Now it's 2-2, but Milwaukee has home court. They you know, still consider the better team. Now you actually, and we won't belabor this point, you thought that, hey, uh, especially if Durant's out, and again, it's uncertain, Milwaukee home court advantage might be, you know, over 150 even. The numbers come out and it's like, wow. Yeah, I essentially bought Milwaukee, if you will, at its apex. Blue Horseshoe hates Milwaukee right now. Golden State, RJ, is a minus 220 favorite against Milwaukee. Now, listen, we don't know if, I mean, if I gave you four to one, Durant doesn't play again in this playoffs, would you take it? I think I would. Yeah, four to one. I would not take three to one. All right, so there's some real chance Durant doesn't play. Also, the numbers tell us it doesn't really matter. So now we got to go Goddard number again. And then the question becomes, because more, and, and this was a study 
that I commissioned in-house, and it makes a hell of a point. Everyone's reacting to the size of the, the margin of victory for Toronto. Go back to 2002. The Spurs won it. So since then, the winners have been Spurs, Pistons, Spurs, Heat, Spurs, Celtics, Lakers, Lakers, Mavs, Heat, Heat, Spurs, Warriors, Cavs, Warriors, Warriors. 2002 to 2017. And let's be clear, we're counting when the season begins. So this year is 18. Okay. There's been two times that the champion hadn't been blown out in a playoff game by 15 or more points. So in every other time, Milwaukee, for example, was blown out by 18. So it was a blowout, 15 or more. They would be amongst the vast majority of playoff teams that got blown out once. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, Milwaukee hasn't been blown out. And some of these have been blown out multiple times. So... Blowout. I mean, remember the Celtics Lakers? They used to blow each other out all the time. Back and forth, yeah. All of a sudden, what do we see about Milwaukee that makes us think they should be significantly downgraded? And if it's not that, what have we seen? I get the idea you could say, well, if we're accounting for some 25 to 33% chance that Durant's out, that if then is much, much higher rated Golden State than if Durant's there. But since we expect Durant generally to play some games anyway, I mean, my question was a week ago, before Durant got hurt, so whatever, 9, 10 days ago, 11 days ago, if I would have said, you were high on Milwaukee at that point. If I would have said, what do you expect the line to be Milwaukee, Golden State, when there wasn't even any thought that Durant was going to be hurt, what would you have said? Yeah, I would have had it real close to pick Golden State a slight favorite. So this is another example where you took the key word and mumbled it. So let's go. Let's go through it again. What do you think the key word would be in that sense? Who's favored? Would be the line, right? Yes. And you did hear yourself say, "And I would have been in pit." Golden State would be a small favorite. So now you're changing your answer. That's what I said. No, you said pick. I said it would be close to pick. And you didn't say which direction it would have been. Golden State favored. Did he say that? He did. Pick. Well, when I heard when I said pick, I didn't. You know. Golden State, small favorite. Okay. Minus 110? Minus 120. All right. Now, has Milwaukee really disappointed you since? They've slightly disappointed. How? Because they lost, what? They they couldn't win one game in Toronto where Toronto had like an amazing record this year? They almost won game three, even though it was a home run? If Milwaukee would have won, if there was one more made free throw. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You would have said, holy freaking cow, the home run spots are home run spots. And somehow Milwaukee came in and won game three. And right? now, yep. And now Milwaukee. So now he's saying, 11. yeah, but he's passing over that real quick. So what I'm saying is in that spot, you would have upgraded Milwaukee drastically. Yes. Because one less free throw was made. <laughs> we're now acting like they're downgraded. Probably I'm overreacting to game four along with the you, whole world. Well, not me. Look at the betting markets, how they're reacting. It's crazy. Well, they overreacted the game. This line makes sense. This, this line, line makes sense in the context of where we were when the series exactly. started. Exactly. Everyone yes. overreacted the game, you know, the prior it, game. Yeah. yeah. Game three. Yes. So, or I guess game four. 
coming in was the overreaction, is the idea that somehow Toronto for the first time this season was going to be an underdog at home, right? Yes. Okay. So my point is, Brad, trying to speak from a perspective of reasonableness, is it's hard to say you're going to downgrade Milwaukee much, right? I agree with that. And I get your upgrade in Golden State without Durant significantly, but I'm saying even when we thought Durant was playing, we don't think this team's better, right? So saying this upgraded Golden State team would at best have been the same team they would have had with Durant. And you would have said at the time, you know, you said pick, pick would have been the line, right? Now I can get plus 180. Well, you're stepping on my point. So now the line is plus 180 on Milwaukee. What the hell has changed? Extra rest for Golden State versus Milwaukee. Really? How valuable is that? Because, I mean, we know when the thing's going to, even if it's game seven, they'll have the game seven will be at home, right? Yeah. They win in game six, they get extra day. The thing about the finals is the finals date is set. They don't change that no matter what. If it was sweep, sweep, there would have been nine days off or whatever. So worst, if they win in six, they got a couple extra days. If they win in seven, Milwaukee, they're oh, at home. Yeah. Yes. So what, and they're going to have 48 hours off at home. They're really that, t- if anything, the rust, the rust would be a negative for Golden State. Possibly in game one, but I still but that's think. What we're ta- then after that, you're telling me the rest is important. I think they it's take a factor. three days off sometime. I think Dude, it's a you're factor. doing the same fucking. No, crap. no, we're doing seven. What? We're talking about a, a team on a four game series versus a seven game series, and you're saying that that's not a. Factor? I'm saying when there's enough rest in between, they play back to backs all season, right? I mean, Brad, look up the. We'll we'll get into best bets if you would look up the schedule because they've already got the exact date and let's get the days off in between. Now, Fez, with you preaching how much rest must matter, I, you should have this memorized, right? Yes, the game seven would be on the twenty seventh, and then the the NBA finals would start on the thirtieth. Okay, so you're saying the twenty eighth, so they actually would have two days off, and they'd be at home even yes. if it went seven. So, but then you're saying oh, it's a seven game series, right? So now you must have memorized when does game two start? When does game three start? I don't. So you it. don't know. I don't have. But somehow time. you're estimating how much rest is going to matter, even though go in the worst case, Toronto is going to have two days of rest from home and be sitting at home. And then first game on May 30th, then it's Sunday. So Thursday, Sunday, let me do the math. Friday, Saturday, another two days off. And then Sunday to Wednesday, hmm, Tuesday, Monday, that's another two days off. Then one day off and then two days off. And then two day, two days off, and then two days off. So there's one time the whole series. There's only one day off, but somehow, some way, Toronto playing. Oh, I'm sorry. Check that. Milwaukee playing, um, uh, three extra games is going to somehow in game six is going to affect them of the next series. It's a free roll for Golden State. That they have these three, that they have three fewer games to have to play in the in the semifinals here before the finals. So I would, so it's I would meaningless. Much- the only thing it gains for you is if somehow fatigue's a factor. I'm saying if if every freaking before the first game and before every other game, if you have two days off except for one game with one day off. How can it be that? Because big? Milwaukee could have injuries in games five, six, or seven. It could happen. 
what's the odds that someone that is really, you know, moves the needle for Milwaukee gets hurt? 10% at best? Hurt 10% at best in terms of them not being able to play. Higher in terms of them having some kind of nagging so injury. So let's just, let's just think. What, who in the last uh, three games has been hurt for Milwaukee? No one. Hmm. How about the three games before that? No one. Hmm. Doesn't seem like your numbers are right. Well, Kawhi Leonard's banged up. That's not Milwaukee. I understand. It? It's not Milwaukee. And we don't even know if he's banged up. We don't know. We can't be sure. Boy. <laughs> Brad, what do you think? I looked up Milwaukee. No rest this year. They played 13 games. Eight and five. 12, 12 and one. No. Nope. No. Eight and five straight up and against the spread. You're thinking of Denver. Oh, but, right. but, but this is a situation where it's either two days, it, like a vast majority. Imagine you, you play on Monday. They're 40 and 14 with one day off. One or more or just one? Just one. Do one or more. They must get tired. 60 and 20. Well, yeah, I, I think there's one or two days is going to be a real challenge. I mean... It, it's like this is where you get into trouble. You grasp at straws that make no sense. How many cents would you value this rest that you're perceiving? 20 cents. Possible injury, extra rest. Now, that's maybe, maybe I'm overvaluing. All right, but even then, it should be minus 130. Yeah. Because you said one thing. So what's going on? I know what's going on. What's going on is... People in their minds are thinking, holy cow, if this team can win without their bet, it's like the same mistake they made in reverse that they didn't think Golden State is really good with just Curry because history says they're thinking if they're this good without, with, without Durant, when they add him back, holy cow, they're going to be unbeatable. Except the numbers tell us him being added back doesn't matter, you know, to whatever degree it does. It's not what we th- would have thought it was. And thus, it just seems like, like if, you, if I told you the following, the team that was favored to win the NBA finals lost their best player, played as well without him as they would with him. And now he's coming back. Wouldn't your instinct be like, wow, they must be an unbeatable team? Yep. Yes. But it's the same mistake. It's being made in both directions. They aren't acknowledging that at least for a reasonably short period of time, Golden State is Almost as good, just as good, maybe better without Durant. So how could his addition mean anything? And does how could mean anything major, which we don't even know if he's coming back. And we don't know it'll be 100% if he does come exactly. back. Exactly. So all we know is if we accept that Curry, no Durant, is just as good as with Durant, then we can take the number we would have had with Durant and apply it to any team that plays in the finals. Meaning if Durant's there or not, it's still going to be about the same. And lo and behold, you thought that number would be 110 or whatever. Milwaukee shouldn't be downgraded, but now it's up to what? 210 and plus 180? Yes. Boy, it seems like there's a lot of value there. It does. Oh now, God. now that said, this is a different bet than betting them to win the title, because winning the title, they got to win this series and the next series. Right. If you bet the projected finals, there's no bet if Milwaukee, or if Milwaukee doesn't make yep. it. All right, listen, a lot of good stuff. Now, unless you guys object, we can go to best bets. Anything else? Best bets. Don't know about the future. That's anybody's guess. Ain't no good reason. 
about getting all depressed. Buy up your pad and pencil. I give you a piece of my mind. We're going to give Faz a chance to regroup. Uncle Dave Esler, out of Florida. He's been with pregame almost a decade. He wins. He does three things. Wins. Wins. And you know what else, Brad? Wins. Wins. Exactly. It's documented. And he's got to pick on Thursday's game. Hopefully, for Faz's sake, they agree with it. Let's listen in. Bucks-Raptors game five. Let's see if we can give out another DreamPod winner. Game one in Milwaukee closed, minus six and a half, 218 and a half. Game two in Milwaukee closed, minus six and a half, 219. Game three opens, minus seven, 219. A look at it, what's changed, really? I don't think anything. I don't need to look any further than the Raptors. In the 76ers series on the road, put up 95, 101, and 101. First two games at Milwaukee, 100 and 103. Do I think they all of a sudden put up a ton more? No, I do not. This is a must-win game now for the Bucks. This is the first time they've had any resistance in the playoffs. So I think there's two ways I see this playing out. The Bucks get a huge lead, we have a sloppy fourth quarter, or the game is tight and we have a much more deliberate fourth quarter. I love that under down to 215 points. Okay, by price, 215. Esther says under. Fez, any quick thoughts on that? I agree with him. I like the under. Okay, but you like something more. I do. Go. All right, we are on Milwaukee minus six and a half. Hey, Dave said it best. You know, games one and games two, Milwaukee was laying six and a half. Well, game one, Milwaukee struggled for most of the game. They trailed. Then they did ultimately win by eight. But you could argue that was a lucky cover. Game two, they crushed Toronto. But... I'm going to make the case that game one was an aberration. Milwaukee only made 25% of their threes, and they shot 44 threes. If they just made their normal percentage of the year, they would have won that game and covered it. And game two, of course, they covered it. Further, game two was a horrible spot for Milwaukee. They had won game one, so now the zigzag was in Toronto's favorite, and Toronto got crushed. I can make the case this game five is the best spot Milwaukee has had during the entire series of back-to-back losses. Now off of a blowout loss, I expect Milwaukee to fully bring it. So I think the spread should be higher than it was in games one and two. And this is without even consideration of the possibility that Kawhi Leonard, Toronto's best player, may not be 100%. So that's a free roll. If it turns out he is 100%, I still would look towards Milwaukee. But if Leonard isn't 100%, I think this is a really good bet. I'm going to lay the six and a half. So you're saying if you knew Leonard was 100%, you'd still bet Milwaukee? Yes, small bet, small. And again, we've gone over, so let's not belabor it. The fact that there's been two games quasi covered him, it's been the last two, and it's made all the difference in the world. It's just somehow that doesn't matter. It's a factor. And where I didn't hear it when you were talking. The fact, well, the fact that he was able to effectively guard Giannis. Giannis still got 25 points in game four. So it wasn't like he was completely shut down. And like I said, well, I no, no, no one said you're going to shut down the likely MVP. Giannis was, uh, what, 30% less effective? Yeah. Three, Seems- he was three for seven. Sounds, you know, sounds, sounds significant. I'd like to see one more game myself. That that Kawhi, either they don't quite doesn't guard him, which would be a sign of a physical problem or whatever, or he guards them and Giannis has a normally great game. Now you could say, 
But we're literally at 2-0 and right now. You know, if we ask the question, will Kawhi um, limit Giannis? I think it's 2-0, and right? Yeah. Yeah. And Ka- Kawhi completely limited Middleton, their number two score in games one and two. Middleton was horrible in games one and two. I don't have any problem with Middleton making some buckets. Okay, right? because he is going to make some. All right. And he had 30 in, ga- <laughs> in game four, and they got blown out. All right. So... But I will agree with this. I, I, th- I, I st- the only thing that would stop me from falling in the face is I'm a big believer in Kawhi when he's playing hard. I mean, I watch a lot. I mean, I was watching the Spurs almost every night. I was a big fan of that team those two years. And he is as good. You know, again, he's getting a little older, but he's one of those. Def- he was stopping LeBron in his freaking prime. Don't forget that. So LeBron in his prime. So to me, if somehow, some way, I knew for a fact, even if Kawhi was 100%, he wasn't going to guard Giannis, I'd be right with you. I'm worried about that. So maybe you hedge us a little bit. Does this make sense? Because it seems inverse. But you, I mean, sometimes that's what a hedge is, actually, is inverse as opposed to correlate. What do you think about betting under Giannis and betting Milwaukee? Because the theory is you're kind of maybe even half a unit on under Giannis. You're protecting yourself. There's a chance you win both, right? If Middleton has a great game or whatever. Um, I wonder, have we seen Giannis's over under versus game one and two? I have not seen it yet. Let's make that a key. Brad, if you don't mind, on Straight Out of Vegas tomorrow. And remember, guys, you can get the show on podcast too. Six o'clock Eastern. Two under stations. Also, iHeartRadio app. Podcast is up almost immediately. Just search RJ Bell. You'll see the dream preview and you'll see straight out of Vegas. But to me, one, if 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 Giannis is not you got anything yet? No. If Giannis's numbers are comparable, the over under, the number two game one and two. I'm going to make a nice bet on the under. And I agree with that. I mean, certainly that is. So what you're saying is lay the box, but expect Giannis to underperform. Yes. Wow. That does seem inversely correlated. Now, if you're hedging it, I can deal with it. But if people out there are listening saying, I'm not betting no, no over under Giannis, what is, I don't even understand what that is. But you're still, you're literally saying, I believe Giannis will underperform, but I still think Milwaukee covers. Yeah, I think Giannis will get fewer points than expected, and Chris Middleton will get more points than expected. So this is all about Middleton. Yeah. Wow. All right. What do you think of that handicap, Brad? Well, I think you could have went back. I I know you've been mentioning the bench. I think you could have went back to that, where Milwaukee all series and at least average playoffs has outscored the Raptors bench by 13, yet in game four. But it was 17, Seven, 17 games. But yeah, in game three. four, they got outscored by 25 points. So that was a big 40 point difference there. Mm. I think you could have relied on that maybe a little. Next up, it's the world premiere <laughs> of Brad Powers having a football pick this early. <laughs> Am I right about this? I had one last week. And oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> go ahead. So I'm going to go to your Pittsburgh Steelers, RJ, and I'm going to take the Steelers to win the AFC North plus two ten is what I saw today here in Vegas, and, and it's a variety of things. First, pro Pittsburgh side of things. I like what I'm reading out of Pittsburgh. 
You got Ben Roethlisberger hosting teammates, trying to connect. Hasn't done that in the past couple of years. Uh, and, and obviously there was some divisiveness in that locker room with Le'Veon Bell and, and whatnot. To me, I think Big Ben has a chip on their shoulder. And when do you want to play on the Steelers? Historically, when they're kind of perceived as underdogs. Well, they're underdogs in the division. They're not even the favorite. I looked it up. This century, so this millennium since 2000, Pittsburgh, in the underdog role, if you just blindly play on the Steelers, 63% against the spread. So here's a team that historically plays well when they're not expected to. On top of that, how can you trust the division favorite, the Browns, who haven't won a division title since 1989? You already got OBJ missing some OTAs by day two, and you're going to rely on a young quarterback, a rookie head coach, and a lot of combustible personalities. Gimme, gimme, gimme Pittsburgh to win the AFC North plus 210. Pretty good handicap right there. Any thoughts, Beth? Yeah, ultra solid. And why I like this even more is oftentimes our concern is, well, what happens if one of these other teams sneaks in and has a great year and wins the division? Well, the Bengals are a non-factor for the most part. And Baltimore, I think I am bearish on. Their season wins eight and a half. And I do not think that Lamar Jackson can duplicate what he did last year. And I'll say this. I love bets where you have perceived edges in two different spots. Like in golf, if I want to fade Tiger in a matchup, but I like his opponent, now you're getting two reasons why. And again, I like fading Cleveland and Baltimore, and I'm optimistic about Pittsburgh. Guys, don't say we don't work hard. Over two and a half hours or so, and we'll leave you with this. Thanks for listening to RJ Bell's Dream Preview. Catch the Wise Guy Roundtable each week. College football released on Wednesday, NFL on Thursday. Don't miss any winners. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Visit podcastone.com and download the Podcast One app. Have a question for RJ? You can contact him directly on Twitter at RJ in Vegas. Live the dream with us each week.